Hello, this is Adam Sexton, host of the Past and Pending Podcast. Before this episode begins, I need to offer a disclaimer and apology. The recording software I used to record the Skype call between myself and Adam Howard screwed up the recording sometime after the two-hour mark, and what you'll hear in the last 20 minutes or so is a lag. I discovered this while editing, and I apologize for how confusing or irritating the last section can be a few times, and I tried to fix and salvage as much as I could. I think the conversation that Adam and I had was great, and I think you'll enjoy it regardless. I hope you will anyway. And I will see to it that uh, this mistake won't happen again in the future. Also, you'll probably notice that uh, I failed to provide a present topic for the uh, TV section, and this was my mistake. And finally, in the reading segment for my uh, present pick, I failed to provide certain information for the article or the issue that it was featured in. The article is titled Return to the Island of Dr. Moreau by Clark Collis, and it appeared in the February 22, 2015 issue of Entertainment Weekly. Again, sorry for the mess up. Thank you for your time and attention. Hello, this is uh, the Past and Pending Podcast. I am your host, Adam Sexton. This is the podcast where a special guest and I talk about the entertainment choices we've made. Choices that come from both the past and the present, or as recently as possible. And uh, thank you for tuning in and uh, downloading the podcast. For this episode, I have uh, I have my first reoccurring guest, uh, or recurring, not reoccurring, uh, he is uh, Adam Howard, a.k.a. Adam from the Bay Area, and uh, thank you, sir, for meeting with me again this uh, episode. Of course. I'm totally pleased to be here, and I'm happy you had me back so soon. Thank you. My thoughts exactly. Uh, I did get plenty of, uh, well, not plenty, but uh, I got feedback, feedback that matters, I think, uh, from the last episode, uh, especially from our uh, entertainment landfill uh, fans or or uh, comrades, uh, definitely uh, Jason sent uh, some uh, good feedback, and uh, I'm thinking uh, if if I can if I can have recurring guests uh, of of your caliber and definitely others people uh, definitely from uh, other people within the community, I. Uh, I definitely think that uh, this uh, podcast has some longer legs on it. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I'm glad that you got good feedback, and that's that's cool, man. Very good. And because that always inspires you to do more. You know what I mean? Like when you start hearing that positive feedback and you know enforcement, it's like, oh man, I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna do some more. So that's cool. Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, before we get started with our entertainment uh, discussions, there was a couple of questions I want to ask regarding our conversation last time. And none of these questions came from uh, anyone. uh, This is mostly coming from me because there were a couple of things you mentioned that I would that I didn't even think to ask you on for, for things for you to elaborate on. First one is you talked about uh, you and Ross uh, Pony starting a podcast, and I didn't even think to ask you what the podcast was, what it was about, and if it is still available or archived somewhere, or has it gone the way of Dodo? <laughs> it's kind of gone the way of the Dodo. I don't have it on my hard drive anymore. 
Um, I think there's a slim chance that Ross may somewhere, somehow, may have some of the shows. We only recorded 11 of them, and I believe we posted 10 of them. And we were doing it every other week. And um, it was called the um, the Omnitainment Podcast. So kind of taking like omnipotent or, you know, omniscient or whatever and entertainment and smashing them together so basically all things entertainment is what we were doing and uh it was cool me and ross have known each other since we were in seventh grade so we had a pretty good rapport going there and we've made movies before and you know we kind of ham it up and whatnot um so the podcast had you know what what have you been watching segment and then we would also do like fast food reviews where we would try new uh <laughs> new sandwiches from fast food <laughs> chains and we would rate them and talk about them and then ross made up the segment called um i hate what you like so like we would pick things about each other that we knew that we liked but the other person didn't like and it was just kind of like off the wall but kind of n- nutty and uh, around the time that we were doing it, Grand Theft Auto 4 came out, and um, we did like a big roundtable discussion with a lot of our friends, and one of them even Skyped in. It was cool. It was fun. It was just, uh, I don't even know what it was really. Just life got in the way, uh, I guess, and we just didn't have a lot of, um, we didn't know the Nowhere in Mulberry Entertainment Landfill guys at the time, so there was no real synergy, and it's we didn't. I guess we didn't have the time or energy to really invest a lot into it in in terms of getting making it public and doing those things. But um, yeah, I would love I would love to listen to them and and hear them again, you know, because they would they would be fun to listen to. But I'm not sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure. So maybe this conversation will help Ross to maybe go through some of his archives and see if he can find them. Was he the caretaker, aka editor of the podcast? I take it. He, uh, let's see. The goal, the goal at the time, I think that he did the first five or so, and then after that, we started sharing the responsibilities and doing every other. Because I remember my schedule was much busier at the time than his was. I think at the very beginning, and so he, yeah, so he would edit them, and uh, and then we even tried to we. I forget exactly what went down. I just remember, we, like, we even bought a little, like, a 16-channel mixer or an 8-track mixer to run it all through, and we were using pretty decent mics and stuff. But uh, it was it was fun. But I think it was, pro- like, see, like, yours has a really good format in that you're talking about media and stuff, but it's got this nice little, I would say, niche to it where you're talking about, you know, things from old and things that are recent. And that right there just kind of helps gauge the conversation in such a way where it doesn't just feel like everything is out there or like it's not like a sandbox. You're kind of in the confines of what to talk about, which helps, I think. And I think that uh, for us, it was just such a broad spectrum of what we were trying to go after that it just, I don't know. I think it was just that in busyness too, you know, or maybe we're just flakes, Adam. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I doubt that. Um, I, I do. I am. I'm intrigued by the segment of uh, "I hate what you like." Was this a way to uh, creatively discuss? I, I mean, I, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. But did was, was there any point 
during that segment where things got heated, or did you pretty much keep it into the cooler heads will prevail uh, uh, arena? Cooler heads would prevail arena, but um, I think Ross is the one that came up with it, and I think it was just his way of like wanting to complain about me. <laughs> no, I don't. I honestly, <laughs> I don't know. But we were all, we were always real good spirited about it. But we would kind of debate and defend why we liked it or why we didn't like it. And it was kind of cool, though, at the same time, because we would hear each other out and be like, oh, well, and I never looked at it that way. So it was neat. But the fast food review was cool. And then we would say, like, hey, so what's what's new in the streets or was one of them, which is where we just spoke about whatever we had been up to. And then we also did one that was like, what's old in the streets? And we would talk about um, like older, just reminiscent type like we would reminisce on things from the past a little bit and like uh, i don't know if you remember this but one of our subjects of the old school or the um what's old in the streets was pager code like what everybody had pagers back in like you know early 90s and yeah. before texting was popular you would use you would turn the numbers into the alphabet like are you familiar with that at all pager i had i i had one for work and i don't recall it having the readout that you're describing mine was pretty much designed to just receive pages and so i can use my cell phone and call my superior this was when i worked for a newspaper back in uh 2004 and uh i wasn't that technically proficient so the and maybe the pager was supposed to work this way where i would just hear the i would just see the page and then make a call as soon as possible but as far as you doing anything else with it did not know what to do or maybe i wasn't meant to know maybe i wasn't meant to use the device any more than that i hope that answered your question <laughs> yeah well so the, the pager that i had and that most people had at that time it was just all it would do is receive numeric digits that's it and so like you know how you type in like seven three Let's see. No, it would be four three seven seven zero, and when you turn that upside down, I may have got it backwards. But anyways, when you turn it upside down on a calculator, it would spell out hello. Have you ever done that before? Yes. Okay, so that's all we were doing is you would just page someone, and then you would like figure out what you wanted to say. Like good night would be. Uh, I think it would be. Let's see. What a six. And the zero zero zero, so the mm-hmm. zero would be O, and the zero, the second zeros would be D's. So it got really confusing sometimes to decipher the code. But it's funny, like I remember my sister writing out on a piece of paper, like the message she would want to send, and then she would, <laughs> she would call <laughs> the person, she would call the person's pager, and like beep boop boop beep boop, just to say like all this random stuff and that was one segment for example it was good and so the show was fun i don't know maybe it's like i tell jason too from the entertainment landfill podcast i see some of these people on the internet and on podcasts and youtube channels that aren't really any more creative than he is they're not any like there's he's a really funny down-to-earth guy he's got a good personality the show has a good flow bill does a killer job steven's there to kind of fill in the gaps and it's just a real nice chemistry there's absolutely no reason why that show shouldn't have millions of listeners in my own opinion it's just it's weird some people it's just like they just strike at the right time and pick up an audience and then things go crazy for him and so i think uh, 
obviously, if we were getting feedback like you were received, like you received from the last show, that would have driven us like crazy. But the only people we could get to listen to it was our close friends that knew us in person. We didn't have any strangers that downloaded it at all. So, and that's what I remember hearing a lot of podcasts that started out that way. And it was real tough on them because it was just like, like Jason said, like, it's like I just recorded something on a cassette and then just like put it like in a little bassinet and sent it down the river. Like, okay, hopefully <laughs> someone will listen to it. That's what he said about the first like 15 episodes or 20 episodes. And so, uh, yeah, it just, it's weird. It's a weird dynamic, but we had fun doing it and it was always a good creative outlet and it was just, it was fun. And I just wanted to be a part of it. And I just kind of thought we could take, like this would be a good inexpensive way for us to get our creativity out because we don't have to like set up a camera and film something and set up lights and that and with our schedules at that time as like being young fathers and stuff it was just kind of hard to get you know it was just hard to find the time so just sitting down in front of a mic seemed a lot easier and we kind of overcomplicated it with all the equipment but uh i think if we would have kept it a little bit simpler it would have happened more often you know but uh you know it was fun though and um if i find some i will definitely i will definitely send send you one and let you listen because <laughs> it's pretty they were fun good uh you mentioned about you, you didn't feel the need to continue maybe there were multiple factors but the the need to not continue it was because you didn't have that much of a big audience or maybe you didn't know people like jason or, or uh bill or steven at the time and I, and I'm glad that I'm really grateful that people like uh Jason, you know, that he will mention my podcast and he will he will plug it not only on his show but he'll plug it on the Facebook fan page as well. And but I'm beginning to think that maybe he has more listeners than he thinks. Well, I mean, in his case, he has more listeners than he thinks. They just don't always chime in like we feel compelled to do so. And I visit my uh, my Podbean website, and I've looked at the plays on it. I mean, they're. I mean, I think that last one within the first few days had like 24 plays on it. Which kind of blew my mind. I was just thinking, who are who are these people? Are there just people who, wow, yeah. as, soon, as soon as any podcast episode goes up, they just listen to it? Maybe there are internet bots out there listening to it. I don't know. I mean, but I can understand the the feeling, the need not to continue when you know when you don't know that many people. Uh, and I guess maybe uh, I, I'm still one to keep it alive because I because I have constant contact with people like jason uh, and he's not the only person i know who has a podcast there's a there's a friend of mine uh by the name of uh, I, I basically call him mike he has his own video game podcast called the unknown connection and he hasn't continued that for a while for various reasons maybe it's job maybe it's just life and he's also told me it's also a matter of getting his co-host together on skype or in some other fashion to record an episode there 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 are a lot of factors that can keep something that can keep a show from continuing and i understand that right now i don't i'm actually kind of glad that i don't have this huge following because uh the pressure isn't there to make something really extraordinary right now i can make as many mistakes as i possibly can and then theoretically i can get better as the podcast goes on and i'm big and uh, i spent 
like last week, the last weekend, listening to eat uh, Nim uh, episodes, and I and uh, they had a uh, Jason uh, had a new uh, podcast. They had a live recording Friday night, and I sent them uh, a voicemail describing this so when they post it you'll be able to hear it too about how i was able to finally find the page that had all the archived episodes on it you won't be able to find it on the etl website itself jason has his own blog called the jstrom uh blog spot or whatever and i was able to listen to the very first one and it's definitely a different beast than it than it is now, but I, I'm glad that they stuck with it because I mean you can you could listen to them and you could see how the show changed over time. But uh, it, and and maybe he just felt compelled to do it, and maybe he was also felt free to do it because you didn't have to you didn't have a big following back then. But if you but now they've been doing it for a while, they feel comfortable in their own skins, and uh, maybe it's just a matter of just seeing it through uh over a period of time i I don't know i feel like i'm kind of talking out of my ass right now (laughs) no 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 it's it's good it's good and i think that yeah i mean think about it like jason just started like they just started that patreon campaign which is so cool it's like oh my gosh you should have been doing that the whole time but there is something to be said about the like uh stick to itness or like you know like that they've been doing it for heck of long you know and that's that's sometimes that's what it takes and maybe that will hopefully that'll pay off you know like hopefully they'll take off even bigger because i i think that that show has so much potential personally but um and i do like this whole sense of community and you are getting in it like doing the podcast now i don't i I feel like it's from what i've heard it's a lot easier to get your podcasts up because we used to always hear like oh it's so easy it's so easy to get your podcast up it's anyone can do it well, I guess I must be a complete and total idiot because it's kind of confusing <laughs> for me. <laughs> like I couldn't figure it out. So uh, we had to have like our friend that knew HTML code and stuff like help us do some things because we were trying to get the hosting site and maybe we were just on the wrong track. I don't know, but um, it's you're in you're jumping into it at a great time because not only is it supposed like from what i've heard it's supposed to be easier but you do have ends with a lot of like i know because you listen to a lot of podcasts like don't you i mean how many yes what are your regular shows that you listen to oh man um just right off the bat let me see here are you grabbing your phone grabbing i've actually got no my my ipod i uh okay i keep everything on there let's see regularly i will pay attention there's there i mean there's stuff like i've mentioned the movie crit podcast a while back right uh, obviously there's etl but there's stuff like uh the morning stream which is part of uh it's a great podcast Scott, man it's yes a, great podcast. Uh, a lot of a lot of his podcasts like the the instance or film sack i, I make that a daily uh Those are a good. daily uh task <laughs> yeah that's a good uh, one Oh yeah, and uh, whenever they post an episode, and it hasn't been a while, it's been a while, but I'm guessing John Jansen's doing you know a lot of pre-production work. Uh, the Hollywood Gauntlet, I listened to. That's a great um, one too. I, I, me and Jason were just talking about that because, you know, I don't know if you knew the history or the whole situation with the saloon and how it all fell apart. And J- John Jansen was never like a big, uh, like he was never, never showed any love towards the Nim 
folks, but like Andy did a lot, like showed a lot of love towards them. Like you could hear mm-hmm. it on the old school podcast. This isn't anything that's discreet. Like yeah. they would tease because John wouldn't, they, he just, I don't know. It was weird. He didn't really tie into them at all. But, um, I just thought, you know, I'm, I was hoping Andy would put out a, a show <clears throat> and it's taken him a while to do. So I th- as soon as I heard he had one, I think Ross told me, I was like, well, let's check it out. Hey, say what you want about the dude. Like, that's a good podcast. Like, the production value is good, and it's like listening to a lecture. It's not like just like, hey, man, like you and me, we're going to BS on here and be like, oh, man, I watch Suits. It's a great show. It's like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> like, you know, but those guys go into like a lot of detail, and, uh, you know, like it's a, it's a good show. So I'm sorry to cut you off. What else do you listen to? No, no, not not at all. And it, and it continues in a way the format that they established with uh, the Hollywood Saloon. So, and seeing as how I miss that podcast, I, I'm glad that, you know, one of them, one of them is. And yes, uh, my getting into Nowhere in Mulberry was by way of Hollywood Saloon. And I, and I became a regular listener. I even donated uh, to uh, the the saloon because I, I wanted those uh, nitrate shows that they were putting out toward yeah. the end. Like they they put out those the '90s decade, and then they put out this little three hour one, which, as far as I can tell, it's been a while since I listened to it. But as far as I can tell, it was about them, their uh, habits of go of theater going, and what and how that affected their lives or so. But uh, I was. I was just enamored with these long podcast episodes that would go into detail whether it was a certain film or a certain filmmaker or even a certain topic. And the saloon excelled at stuff like that. So uh, I'm always looking, uh, and I'm glad that occurs in the, in the Hollywood Gauntlet. And whenever Andy uh, gets around to making his, I'm sure he'll turn out something special. But there's one in particular that I discovered this past weekend and i mentioned it in my voicemail to uh the recent etl show so you'll hear about it uh uh next week when jason posted it's a a podcast called the projection booth have you heard of this i have not i'm intrigued okay well it's it's very much like uh the saloon or hollywood gauntlet in that you've got really long discussions with some decent uh production values I, i i tend to think that the saloon and the gauntlet are a little bit better produced, but that's mostly in due to the fact that these guys talk about a certain movie and they are, they are able to speak with uh, people who've been directly involved with the production of it. Uh, and sometimes that leads to phone calls that are not exactly in the highest of quality. The first episode I've listened to so far was one regarding uh, Conan the Barbarian, basically the 1982 movie, but it also veers into the creation of the character, the history or, or life of uh, Robert E. Howard, how how that character was uh, had a second life through uh, the Marvel comics or Frank Frazetta paintings, how that transitioned to the 1982 film and the sequels and the reboots and how it still has this ongoing legacy. The thing about this podcast is this episode wasn't when I, when I mentioned, and I listened live to the ETL show. When I mentioned the fact that it was seven hours in length, Whoa. you could hear the host just look, I mean, Bill went Jesus. And they were all really surprised, Dang. but, but it, it is that kind of a, 
exhaustive detail. I mean, exhaustive even to the point where it's hilarious. But they did they did such a good job. And I work at a job that usually takes eight to nine or ten hours, just depending on the workload. So to have a podcast episode, I mean, I, li- I can either listen to several during the night or I can just listen to one long continuous episode throughout a giving uh, work shift. Having something like that to focus on with uh, you know a lot of material to go over and it's not very it's very cheap to get a hold of. I, I find value in it, but I've been listening to I'm halfway through this Conan podcast episode is it's ridiculous and I'm discovering things about the the character and Robert E. Howard and even the 1982 film that I didn't even know and I, I, I've watched that film many times I've listened to the commentary track on it I just you just never really know the end of uh, the facts on a, on a particular production so I can't wait to get into the other episodes they've got an episode on Batman Returns that's four hours long so uh, I, I'm awesome, I'm, anticip- I'm anticipating the uh, the challenge of it. But anyway, other podcasts I listen to there are certain uh, video game stuff like Giant Bombcast or PS Nation, which is a very PlayStation Nation heavy uh, podcast itself. Uh, there's one called Pod Stallions, which is based on 70s pop culture, whether it's movies, TV shows, toys, or whatever. It's it's an extension wow. of a it's an extension of a website uh, called I think it's Played Stallions. I could be wrong about that. Uh, let's see the the radio show uh, the Kevin and Bean radio show on K Rock 106.7 mm-hmm. FM. They have their own podcast version of their show. It's kind of like a highlight reel. That's very entertaining. Several of Kevin Smith podcasts like Smodcast or Fat Man on Batman or uh, Hollywood <laughs> Babylon. Uh, man, it, it kind of keeps going on and on. Uh, but uh, I'm even trying to get through the Serial podcast, which got a really bump, huge bump in popularity last year. Yeah. Yeah, I was it's, just about to bring that up too. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. Uh and and I try to uh uh talk to Jason about other podcasts we can t- uh we observe. There's another one that I try to be as active in the community with as I am with ETL, which is uh the Stinking Pause uh podcast. Have you heard of this one? Did, have you brought that up on Entertainment Landfill before? I I have because Bill tweeted about it i want to say two years ago and then i followed the link and i've been a listener to it ever since i think this was uh christmas i think this was on the christmas episode for 2012 i want to believe and uh okay and when and when i listened to the next episode they uh, they apparently are lit the hosts of this show the stinking paws uh, are apparently etl listeners as well and they mentioned oh, really? my feedback wow. so i tr- i've tried to keep in i've cu- kept in contact with them through either twitter or facebook or even the letterbox website which is kind of like a goodreads uh version for uh film fanatics but that that one uh, the stinking pause they they do these little review episodes on mostly old movies i think they have like a a, a rule where they don't want to uh review anything that's shorter that's younger than 10 years old but they do make exceptions uh, exceptions from time to time 
and it's just re- hmm. it's just really fun. They're not they're not like uh, film scholars or anything. They're just a couple of guys that love movies and they want to talk about them. So uh, so it, I I highly would recommend hunting that one down. Okay, I'm I'm typing it in right now so I can check it out. <laughs> hey, you know, speaking of all these podcasts, um, ha- like you've been li- have you been listening to the Chuck Companion show? I the have. series companion the Jason Zoo. Dude, oh, that, yeah. um it's a trip. I I don't you probably heard my voicemail, but I really like that show because it's done real well. It it feels fleshed out. And uh it's it's a trip how much it has gotten me back into watching Chuck. Because and and like I know I said on my voicemail that sometimes I think that the parts there can be corny and cheesy parts, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like I just—I guess I was just trying to take it too seriously. I just was trying to take it like it could have been done so much better. I guess I thought or something. But when he uh, on the most recent episode that I listened to while I was building my fence, Jason was saying like, "Hey, you know," he said it was cheesy and corny, but it's basically a comedy that like is about spies. So it's like you have to kind of like. I don't know. When he said that, it clicked, and I was like, "Okay, I can enjoy it now," because that <laughs> was a hang-up for me. And uh, but even before that, I was going back and watching those old shows, and it's just a trip. Like I did, like my cousin used to do that to me. You know, he he would get me into movies. Like I would hear something terrible and see parts of them, and be like, "This is whack," and then he'd be like, "No, no, 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 no!" But there's this one part you got. You're gonna. He would just like go, go into these little subtle nuances that he would pick up. He had a really interesting sense of humor. And so uh, when Jason goes through and talks about that stuff in detail, man, I, um, I, it's, it's just cool. And that in turn has made me start to rewatch the episodes, which is really fun. And I'm enjoying them a lot more this time around. Yeah. I, and I've told Jason this uh, either through voicemail or through Facebook. I, I find those episodes to be as well-produced uh, and realized as the movie mini sh- shorts that he uh, he and uh, Bill or, or Steven have done. I I I, I think he I, their their approach kind of the same way. I mean I I, lo- I mean he's a he's a big fanatic. He he tries to get uh, the music to the show and plays in the background. He'll hunt down the clips like he does uh, with the like he does with the movie minis. It, it's that same kind so of uh, it's that same kind of love and attention to detail like you like you mentioned. But he's he's crazy about this show and his enthusiasm uh, definitely can rub off on you. I mean, like it's done so many times <laughs> on so many other subjects ever since I've listened to the to the NIM podcast. Right. Yeah, that's true. It does. I mean, almost every movie I rent, it's, it's usually a recommendation from their show. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, okay. Well, and I guess my second question would be, uh, you mentioned at some point, and this was, was during our, our goofy little Oscars, uh, tirade, which, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, listening back now, I'm wondering, should we really have spent too much time on something we both admittedly don't care about, but wh- whatever, I, I rec- it's for, uh, it's for the record, whatever. Um, you mentioned something about you feeling that in, in the lab, I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting this, you know, you know, quite verbatim, but, uh, you mentioned something that sounded like, you felt like the the quality of movies aren't really up to par anymore. You just don't you just don't pay attention to them much anymore. I, I don't know if 
that sounds familiar, but could you elaborate or comment on that? It, it does sound familiar, and um, I think what happened is when I was younger – I, I tend to like everything I saw except for like real serious stuff. And then as I got uh, more and more into film and wanted to be a filmmaker and just started to appreciate it more, there would be these trailers that would come out that would make the movie look amazing. I'd go and see it and be, and I, cause I would build it up in my mind and uh, I wouldn't just sit back and let the movie come to me. You know, I would just think, Every trailer made the movie look so good to me at that time that I was constantly let down by poor, poorly made movies. And then for a while there, I want to say from, oh, geez, it's probably, it's probably not a true thing. It's probably just the way I was perceiving it at that time. But okay. I want to say from, from the year like 99 to like 2006 or so, I just thought I, I never got excited about a movie because I just was always getting let down by them. And it felt like it was rare to find a really good one. So that's probably just me. I don't think that that was like, oh yeah, no, that was the famous lull. People weren't making good stuff during those years. It's 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 not that, you know. It's just probably my perspective. But um, I I think I just was getting tired of like I just felt like there was a lot of crap movies. So maybe it was just me. But since I've been watching TV for I'd say the past like five or six years, it's gotten out of hand. The TV shows are so good now, and they have oh, so yeah. much time to develop characters. And they just like uh, I listened to the I think it was the Digital Crack episode from uh, the Saloon where they talked about how you don't you don't need to develop a character and there's an art to that in movie making because you only have typically 90 minutes to two and a half hours or so to try to do that uh but and that there is an art to that and stuff but the television you could just flesh stuff out and the suspense and the week to week and it's really cool and so what i all i was saying by that sorry to be so long-winded in in the answering Mm -hmm. of this but i just all i'm meant to say is that i really only watch tv now it's because i can put on two or three episodes or it's just you know what i mean it's not like okay when you get into a movie you have to dedicate at least an hour and a half to it well maybe i'm too tired maybe i just want to watch one tonight you know what i mean and who pauses a movie halfway and be like okay i'll start it up tomorrow night promptly at nine o'clock before i go to bed like (laughs) no one's gonna do that so that's kind of why it fits the schedule better too but i seem to get way more of my entertainment from television and now a day is I'm not saying that they're not making really, really good movies because I'm sure they right. are. I just spend my time in TV land. Uh, but the only movies that I do go and see are usually the big, crazy action ones where it's like, give it to me in 3D, give it to me on a huge screen. Mm-hmm. Let's really enjoy this. And that's just because you know I feel like at this point with the television clarity and, and the size of TVs that are so affordable these days, you know, it's like a romantic comedy or even like a like a drama that, but it's not action packed. I feel like you can enjoy that uh, like on your couch. So I don't know if that's kind of what I was saying. I think that's what I was trying to say is that when I do hit the theaters, I want the big blockbuster types, everything else. Uh, you know, my, I get my dramatic character driven, motivating storytelling from TV shows mainly, but that's not to say that I'm opposed to film or, and I know that I'm not saying, I know you're not accusing me of that, but I'm right. I feel like I'm coming off like I'm opposed to him and I'm not, it's just, uh, you know, I just really enjoy TV and I remember hating TV. Like, I remember totally hating it. Like, there's nothing good on television. If you want good storytelling, you got to go see a movie. That's how I used to feel. And now it's, mm-hmm. like, completely reversed and changed. So. 
Yeah, uh, no, I, and I agree with you that character development or dealing with plots is very different in movies versus TV because in movies you always have to deal with running times or restrictions from the studio or just the way that money, I think money is spent very differently and definitely in larger amounts on a movie versus a TV show and there are other things to consider. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree that TV right now is kicking movies' ass. Movies, uh, the the, the collective. Uh, I'm I'm really bad with my grammar right there. I'm definitely TV is definitely better than <laughs> movies right now. Uh, which is not to say that there aren't good stuff. I I, I think that like in the 50s or 60s they're relying now more on spectacle they're relying now more on the event driven stuff and the smaller stuff you kind of have to search just a little bit harder as far as movies are concerned whereas on tv whether that's something you can catch on you know a channel tuner or from a streaming side it's it's just much easier more easier to uh to access and easier to get immersed in so no i i definitely agree that's what that's what i suspected you were you meant by that comment but i just wanted to uh, get you uh, to elaborate on it just a little bit cool right on okay well those were my uh two questions so with that out of the way uh let's get into our our picks uh for the past and for the present and i guess we'll start with uh film and what have you got for us as a past option if any so the movie or the movie that i'm going to talk about for my past is um is one is it's a rom-com kind of uh and it's i'm i'm not gonna say it's my guilty pleasure but i i'm just gonna say people will probably make fun of me for liking it because i don't feel guilty about liking it i just I'm making myself an easy target by admitting I like it, is what I'll, is what I'll say. And that is uh, the film Return to Me. Uh, I, I, I love that movie, man. I remember my dad was watching it one day, and I walked by during this scene with Jim Belushi. And I know he gets a lot of crap from people, but... I just think the guy is hilarious in this film, and uh, he was just like yelling at the top of his lungs, going all crazy, and uh, I just it caught my attention. I thought that's funny. What is this movie? And I went and like like he took it back, and then I ended up renting it on VHS or something like (laughs) a few days later. And uh, I just love the uh, the characters in that movie. You know, from the older guys that work at the Italian Irish restaurant uh, to I love Minnie Driver from Goodwill Hunting. I was a big fan of her and this was my first real exposure to David Duchovny but I have I've always loved David Alan Greer from his In Living Colors uh, days to um, man, I think he was in this movie uh, Kentucky Fried Movie he was like playing this guy playing the piano like <laughs> God, I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with it I forget all the terms but I've always been a fan of David Alan Greer and he just has these small parts in it but every one of them makes me laugh and I love Bonnie Hunt I think she's awesome and uh and she did a real good job in the film as well so it's i i, I just love it it's it's uh, there's so many neat little moments that uh me and all my friends like we've all seen it that we all love and one particular scene is uh are, are you familiar with this movie at all should i kind of like, describe the plot or I, I i know of it i haven't seen it. i remember because uh 
back in the good old days before we had access to the internet, I, I mean, I love trailers just like you did, and the only way to get da- daily, if not weekly, access to them was by watching coming attractions on the E Entertainment uh, channel. Okay. And I remember okay. seeing this. I remember seeing this, and, and I'm I'm kind of looking it up right now. I was like, yeah, I do remember this because this was during, uh, you know, both Mini Driver and David Duchovny uh, were still really well known due to their either their tv or their film work but i never i just it just you know uh forgot all about it but man i i never i definitely need to check this out but it's it's like what regarding one of them has like a heart transplant or something am i my close yeah so yeah without going like i'm not i don't want to go into too many details about it but like basically uh, the, the mini driver's character, she uh, is real sick and needs a heart transplant. And David Duchovny's wife uh, passes away at the beginning of the film. And so uh, mini driver receives the heart as like she, uh, his wife's heart as a donation and then they, or a, a donor. And then somehow or another, they end up meeting and, you know, hitting it off. So then it just, you know, it just kind of goes from there. I don't want to say too much, but uh, right. that's that that's all within the first like 15 minutes of the movie. So and that that's even I think on the IMDb, a man falls in love with the woman who received his wife's heart. So there you go. It's not like that. <laughs> that's how they sell the movie. So, uh, okay. but it, but it's uh I know it's super far fetched and it's super um it's it's kind of over the top. But there's just these little moments that are. It's just a character driven movie. I feel like, and uh, everybody's just got real funny things that are going on, but it's kind of heartwarming at the same time. And it might be a little cheese ball. I don't know. But, um, the scene that I was talking about with Jim Belushi is he walks in on, uh, he's married to Bonnie hunt in mm-hmm. the, her character in the film and mini driver and Bonnie hunt are super close in the film. And so he walks in because <laughs> he walks in on mini driver crying her eyes out. And he knows that she's been dating the David Duchovny character. Right. So he's like, Oh my, what's, what's going, is he married? Because it, something that she said <laughs> led him to believe that he was married. And he just started going crazy. And then Bonnie Hunt finally like interrupts and calms him down. And he's, and he's like, he realizes he's made a complete ass of himself. And he's around <laughs> the kids and he just kind of like nonchalantly goes, oh, okay, uh, you boys want some ice cream? kids want to get some ice cream and just that line right there just that small little nuanced line it's just the way he plays it is so good it's so natural it's really it's really cool but uh that's just one scene in particular but there's all sorts of funny stuff going on in it and it's just cool it's you know it's kind of i think you should watch it i would definitely recommend it you know so cool yeah how about you man how about you all right well uh this is something i've recently revisited uh I, I haven't watched it for a few years, uh, but uh, I was a big fan of it when I was finally able to see it. Uh, I'm a, I don't know about you, but I'm a big John Woo fan. How about yourself? I, not really, not not, really. not like I don't like him, just not mm-hmm. really familiar. I know like the Mission Impossible. Movie, I know about the Doves. I know about the action <laughs> movies and stuff. Like because he's, I think the only ones I've seen because he did Mission Impossible too, right? Yes. And then he also did, did. he do Face Off? Yes. That those are. I think those are the only two I'm aware of. Uh, I may have seen some other ones, but okay, go ahead, elaborate. Okay. Well, I came in. Um. I mean, 
the, the moment I started to take notice of him was when he started his little U.S. run, and that started with stuff like Hard Target, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, stuff like Broken Arrow. And by the time Broken Arrow came around, at least when I was able to see it via cable, because my parents had a satellite dish back then, uh, HBO would, and they still do, make these little 15-minute uh, EPK uh behind the scenes stuff and it showed like uh footage of his hong kong movies which are the stuff that he's really known for stuff like the killer or hard-boiled uh, movies that made chow yun fat a star or a bullet to the head or whatever and uh i i fell in love with his uh his uh directing style the first time i was able to watch hard-boiled which, which was on cinemax on a saturday morning at six in the morning, uh, and I had to basically tape it uh, yeah. because I don't think it ever came back on again. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, clearly his Hong Kong stuff was so much better uh, than the U.S. I mean, his approach to story and characters, and most definitely uh, violence, because his gun his gunfights are really, really uh, frenzied, but they're choreographed almost like they were uh, dance or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, but I, every movie he made in the U.S., I went to go see. Some were, uh, very few of them were really up to par with his Hong Kong stuff. Uh, most people didn't like Mission Impossible 2. I actually kind of like it be just as long as you don't really consider it to be a Mission Impossible movie because I'm thinking it's a little bit more in tune with a James Bond film. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, it and liking it too. I didn't have any problems with it or anything. It was fun. Oh, oh yeah, and uh, I mean, Face Off was quite possibly his best effort because thematically it has it. It's very much like uh, his Hong Kong stuff, where you're talking about two two men on different sides of the same coin, uh, whether they hate each other or begin to like each other, they or they have respect for one another. Uh, that that was a theme that he uh, explored in his earlier movies. But uh, he didn't have uh, – I mean, after Face-Off, you were thinking, okay, well, after Face-Off and definitely Mission Impossible 2, which was, I think, the most successful movie he made, definitely commercially, every other movie he made after that, like uh, Paycheck or uh, Wind Talkers, it just – all of them just didn't really do well. So finally, back in – uh, 2008 or 2009, he returned back to Hong Kong, or at least to the Hong Kong studios, and he made this Chinese war film, uh, this period film called Red Cliff, and uh, it's based on the famous uh, Battle of Red Cliffs, which took place back in uh, 208 uh, to 209 AD, and uh, it was like this epic, uh, this epic period of battles that. Uh, I think if I understand it correctly, it was about how the uh, one warlord who was given, uh, and this is kind of going to let you know just how kind of uh, very dense the plot is. One warlord, uh, I think his name is uh, Cow Cow, but I probably am mispronouncing that. He's one to take over some uh, southern territories, and the two men who, and the warlords that are in charge of those, are one to take back. But basically, this guy, the one who's one to start the war, the, uh, 
to take them over gets permission from the emperor at the time and uh and then starts this massive campaign it's it's almost like uh something comparable to you know the battle of troy or something basically uh john wu uh made this made this film and uh the international version is a five hour long movie but it's split into two parts uh and Whoa. it was it was it, it had a estimated budget of i think like 80 million in u.s dollars so it was the most i think it's the most still the most expensive asian finance film to date and uh it's 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 definitely uh, one of the most successful. I think it broke the. It says on Wikipedia it broke the box office record previously held by Titanic in mainland China. When the film finally came over here, they they you know obviously they made like a two and a half hour truncated version of it because U.S. audiences are probably not well very familiar with the Battle of the Red Cliffs. This came on a lot of uh, just when consoles like uh, Xbox. Or maybe Microsoft, uh, maybe Sony, or whatever. Uh, I watched this on Xbox Live, and this was part of their uh, uh, video on demand kind of thing. And I was so desperate to see it. And the differences between the theatrical and this longer cut, which was finally made available, I think like a year later, they put it out in a two disc set. I think the edited version is definitely watchable, but there's a lot of backstory that's missing. It's not this incompetently cut-down movie where, I mean, there are plot threads missing here or there. I think they did about as good a job as they possibly could, but once I was able to see the longer version, uh, I think back when, I think it was like, you know, 2009 or 2010 when I was finally able to see it, I was just kind of blown away. Now, and... And I think that you know it's it's got really good acting in it, like Mission Impossible Two, which whatever misgivings some people may have, about, most of them could agree it was a beautiful looking film, both you know visually, both in its sound design, uh, and Redcliffe is no different from that. But it had a story with a lot of characters and a lot of uh, incident, and. Uh, and I just feel in the longer version, it just comes off a whole lot better. I would say that Red Cliff is Wu's best film to date. I, I I can't say for sure yet if it's my favorite. I still I still love Hard Boiled, which I would definitely recommend you checking out uh, one day. But uh, I watched basically like the first part of it. I don't know when I'll get back to the second part. But you know, like a TV show, you can come back to it at a later time. So uh, Red Cliff, uh, the longer version of Red Cliff, is uh, my uh, pick for the past. Wow. Sounds good. I'm writing down all the stuff that I wrote down to uh, download Red Cliff and Hard Boiled, and I'm currently downloading uh, the Stinking Paws podcast uh, right now. So I'll make sure to check this stuff out because it sounds very interesting. Uh, yeah, that movie. Yeah, because John Woo, I remember like hearing about the gunfights, but I didn't. It's kind of interesting and trippy to me to hear that he made the period film. It's very yeah, and it's it, it's very you know swords and spears and bows, and they brought on a uh, action choreographer by the name of Corey Yoon. I don't know if you know about him, but he's done countless uh, uh, martial arts uh, choreography, and he's even directed a lot of stuff. I think he did the choreography for the Transporter movies. And oh, okay. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And 
Yeah, and he's got a very specific style where he just doesn't really care about physics sometimes. But the the the, the battle sequences are just amazing, and there's a lot of aerial photography. Uh, there was a lot of extras. There's even some points in the movie where you're seeing effect shots where you can't tell what's CGI and what what's real or practical. Uh, it's just a ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I just, just handsomely mounted spectacle, and I didn't really think that Wu had something like this in him, but uh, I'm glad that he made it. Uh, the, as far as I know, the theatrical version is available <laughs> on uh, Netflix Instant, and I, I, I'm, I know for sure that it's on Amazon Prime uh, Instant Video. Uh, so if you want to watch that, it's there. It should the 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 two the international version should be available via Netflix's disc library. But um, if you want to get an idea of what the movie's like, I mean the two and a half hour version isn't that bad. So uh, if you if you watch that and you like it, uh, by all means hunt down the longer version. But uh, anyway, those are the options available too. I'm so sorry I cut you off. Oh, you were. I was just gonna comment on. Um the way you worded, uh, I think you said handsomely placed spectacle. Is that what uh, you handsomely mounted uh, spectacle. Yes, dude. <laughs> that is, that's so awesome. I love it. And one, one thing that I wanted to compliment you on that I uh, noticed a lot. Well, I've, you're very articulate about the way that you describe things and even the feedback on that. When I first got to know, know you on the, uh, was listening to your voicemails on the entertainment landfill podcast and i just like very articulate and like very detailed and uh like you have a really good way of describing things and uh i noticed that a lot big time even on the last show that i because listening back to it and uh, i just had to stop you on the handsomely rounded spectacle that's so funny it's Thank just you. interesting I'm beginning to wonder if sure. I actually described the plot at all. Basically, one warlord wants the the territories to the south. He underestimates them despite having the bigger army, and it's just this long, drawn-out thing of how these two guys basically outsmart him. So that's basically the rough idea of the movie itself. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. Okay. Um, that's all I've got to add about my past option. Uh, let's go on to present. What have you got, if any? Um, okay, so a present movie. Gosh, dude, I honestly don't think I've seen a movie since the last... I mean, like, I haven't seen one recently. Okay. Not that I can think of. Well, I Wait, mean... What should I do? Should I just make something up? Yeah. Well, if if you want to, or we can go on to mine, because I've basically, this weekend, I actually went to the theater, and I made a double feature for myself, and one of those things includes the option you uh, talked about last time, which was The Kingsman. Okay. Um, but I just want to make sure, do you do you not want to try to come up with an option, or are you, are you fine with that? You know, I'm fine. Let's just go with you, because I, I don't want to, like... It's not going to feel right if I'm trying to force it. And I was right. really trying to see that movie Chef on Netflix. That I think Jason and Bill were talking about it, but it just the, I think because of the project that's going on around the house, you know, I'm redoing the driveway and everything. Right. So I've been very preoccupied with that. So sorry, I don't have anything to talk about. But no, not not at all, man. I, I am very flexible, and we will move on regardless. Um, like I said, uh, I saw two movies uh, in the theater this weekend. One was The Kingsman, which you talked about in the previous episode, and the other one was Chappie. 
Ah, oh, nice. So, uh, well, let's go into Kingsman, which I'll be a little, I'll be a little bit brief on since you you went to uh, some detail with it. Uh, I loved it. I loved it big time. Uh, I I really, awesome. I, I really do think that this is uh, uh, Matthew Vaughn's best uh, film. And I, I really think it, it's full of the things that you know he loves. I mean, we've, I mean, we spoke about how his love for like '60s or '70s culture or movies, and he's definitely in love from the spy genre. I mean, not just the James Bond, but the end like Flint's and stuff like that. He, uh, he, he was really take taken by that, and it, it came through in this film. He added some modern sensibilities to it, but uh, it's. I'm trying to figure out where where I should even start. I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of got like some of that same rebellious attitude that he brought towards uh, Kickass, but it but it was it was perfectly balanced. Like it, it, it knew when to take things seriously and it knew when not to. And the fact that you've got all these uh, established stars from both British and American cinema, like Colin Firth or Sam Jackson or Mark Strong, or even Michael Caine, uh, it, it just made it so cool. I mean, we've talked about the just the sheer novelty of seeing Colin Firth in an action movie, which is like the last place you'd ever think you'd see him, and he just he just nails it perfectly, both physically, both through his performance. You talked about how he's one of those guys that are calm, cool, and collected and really knows his stuff, and it's it's just like watching the professional. Yeah, it's, uh, it's I don't know, I, lo- I love, I've always loved that, and I think it did, I've noticed that the film, it's uh, no, I'm sorry to like go off on a sidebar, but sure. I noticed that the film, like, kind of like everybody's so negative these days it seems like, but I feel like it's not getting maybe the kudos it so deserves because maybe just the perspective that people are viewing it from like I, I didn't really know I just it looked like a fun film to me I went and saw it and guess what I had fun watching it it was cool and I think maybe some people are building it up as something different and that maybe why they're not enjoying it because honestly I don't what's not love I enjoyed it I really did like it I'm glad you liked it too oh yeah and I mean the 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 young character the the character plays Eggsy I believe his name is uh Taron Edgerton I had my doubts about him, and I believe uh, uh, this was mentioned on ETL as well, that you go into it thinking he's a bit of a douche, but he uh, he actually grows the more you know about him and the more in the way that he exerts himself uh, during the training montage, which was also pretty awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, and... And anyone out in lesser hands that could have that could have backfired, but I thought Edgerton handled himself pretty well. And uh, Sam Jackson, um, yeah, his lisp it reminded me of uh, the Dabney Coleman character from the Dragnet movie that also had a hilarious lisp. But but I but I think Coleman. I, don't think I, I, didn't, I didn't catch that one. Uh, well, I mean, just. Just go. I mean, they mentioned it on uh, the Film Sack podcast, and I, I haven't seen that movie in a while. I think it was on cable not too long back. But his character also had a lisp, and it was played more for more uh, comedic, uh, just played more for comedy. The Sam Jackson character okay. at times, uh, they knew he knew. There, there's an instru- there's a good mix of humor, but also 
when he gets evil, when he uh, when when his plans come more into focus, you know he's not screwing around. And which brings me to that that action scene in the church, which Jeez. which That's I, so crazy. It, it it's nuts. It's it's definitely the the sequence to beat this film. I mean, last year it was a scene or two from Ray Two. Maybe the John Wick had a had a couple of gunfights, but. I, I was not expecting I was not expecting that scene in the church. Uh, I mean, I, I heard people talk about it, but just the way that you've got this long sustained sequence of just people just being shot or knifed or just being punched or kicked, and Firth is right in the middle of it. And I think it lasts for what close to four minutes, and then yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then the scene transpires in a way I was definitely not uh, expecting, and I won't go into that because you know spoilers. But right, right. but it, it made me think about um, have you have you watched uh, the Agent Carter show? No, I keep hearing about it. it I don't know. I know nothing about it. Okay, like, I don't well, know any details about it. Maybe maybe you'll be able to catch it up on streaming or whenever it's put on DVD. They had the the church scene involves some kind of weird technology that allow that you know makes people just kill each other in a given room. And Agent Carter had a moment where the bad guys used a similar device. They they used like a a canister that. Uh, put out some gas that if you breathed it, you just become a homicidal maniac or whatever. And that took place mm. in a uh, theater. And uh, in the Kingsman, it's a church, and it made me think uh, it, it's not an unheard of thing to have an action scene in a church because, you know, John Wick or Once Upon a Time in Mexico or The Killer Says Hello. But uh, the 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 fact that in Agent Carter it happened in a theater, in a movie theater, kind of made me slightly uneasy because we, you know, because of that, you know, that Colorado shooting during a Dark Knight Rises uh, screening a couple of years back, Mm -hmm. uh, it made me think about, you know, just the balls of staging a sequence like that in a very public place, and not just a public place, but uh, churches or theaters are just thought of these these uh, places of sanctuary or a safe haven, and it just brings forth that idea mm-hmm. that we're not safe anywhere, especially not in the movies that we see. So um, that w- in, the, in the movie, <laughs> is full of things that could potentially offend some people, and the church scene is definitely, uh, you know... Uh, you know, it'll definitely raise some eyebrows here and there. I mean, there was, and Bill talked about this on the podcast. Well, it there, was a church of hate, which church, made me feel better about right. things. It was a church <laughs> of hate, so that's kind of different. You know, that that way at least you're like, well, at least all these people are really bad people. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? So yeah, and the, the the theater was in Agent <laughs> Carter was definitely not a theater of hate, but um. Right. Yeah, I mean, they they mentioned. Uh, I think Bill mentioned like there was this joke involving sodomy during, near the end, and I was kind of worried about that. But I thought people went nuts over that. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, it's okay. It it is what it is. It's kind yeah. of a dirty joke, but it's like, <laughs> come on, it's not. I mean, people are like calling him like a misogynist and i'm like oh god man people just want to complain about anything they can complain about come on like you're always gonna be able to find something i didn't think it was that crazy i laughed really hard at it i thought it was funny uh but i yeah come on i mean i just 
no need getting all upset about it. Well, I mean, the last time I can remember anything having to do with the sodomy joke was when I read the graphic novel Wanted by Mark Millar. I don't know if you've heard or read of it. They made a movie version out of it um, a while back with um, Angelina Jolie in it. I have Okay, well, it also ended with yeah, you know, no, a sodomy. It also ended, the, the book itself, not the movie, the book itself ended with the sodomy joke that I just thought was just, you know, pretty tasteless. So I, I'm glad that, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not scared of a movie that, that has moments where it tries to, you know, provoke or make you, or introduce an idea that any, some people may, may find unsavory. That, that, that's particularly fine, but I was just hoping, you know, at least do it with some taste and you know whatever, but they they did, and uh, I was glad that uh, I saw the movie. Just overall, I mean, the ensemble was really good. the The woman with the uh, razor blade legs, I, I love how that paid off because I was wondering how they were going to shoot her in action, and uh, I, and uh, I, I was real. I was just really just over. Overall, just entertained by it, and uh, I'm glad that I saw it. So um, that leads on to uh, Chappie, which I mean, Kingsman has been pretty much accepted. It's 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 most people like it, and it's done very well for itself financially. Chappie has had a very rough rough time, and people are piling on to it. Uh, they're calling Neil Blomkamp this one hit wonder or he seems to be only only able to tell one kind of movie and most people are forgetting this is only his third movie and i'm sure he wants to tell other stories than this but uh i'm i'm in awe of anyone who can get a project underway and see it to completion and get it made by a hollywood studio i mean it's a miracle that hollywood puts out good movies and all and it's often a miracle that someone can get a movie made at all and uh i don't i don't begrudge blomkamp at all i mean i i and i i just think it's sending a bad message that we feel happy enough to say this stuff and i mean he's a and he's active on social media it just kind of it's kind of disheartening to see people who are more willing to just shit on someone rather than encourage them even if even if you had a problem with the movie you didn't need to say something like oh well i don't think he's the right pick for the next alien movie or i don't think he can tell any other kind of story i mean we i mean where do these people get off let's see but as far as chappie goes i mean He's he's not telling the same exact story as he was in District Nine or Elysium. He's I, I think there was a good balance between talking about um, let's see where, where where should I go with this without spoiling uh, anything. Uh, I mean, at first, I mean, it, it, it's one of those movies where yes, you could easily fall into the trap of playing spot the precursor like like the way that some people felt they needed to do when avatar came out and uh while the movie is full of the things that definitely interest neil blomkamp maybe at this time where you think it's you know it's hitting a very short circuit vibe at first and then it transitions into a robocop vibe and then it turns into uh well and I'll try to see. And I'll try to evade spoilers here. 
there's a development in like the second half that made me think of something like Ghost in the Shell. I mean, it, it introduces a really far out uh, idea, which some people has just dismissed as ex machina. But even if the movie's a little messy, and I will, and Jason uh, felt the same way about this. I mean, the movie was not incompetent. It and, and even if some of the dialogue isn't all that great. I, the movie had heart and soul and it had good intentions and uh even if it's kind of limited in the ways that district nine wasn't it was still an entertaining ride and uh much people have talked about how a, a big factor of whether they liked it or not was dependent on the uh the casting of two members of the group uh d antward if i'm pronouncing their names correctly um, yeah i think you got it right yeah um they are I, I don't know too much about their music but definitely uh presentation wise or just the way that they act or the way that they choose to carry themselves including the one who calls himself ninja i'd say that's an acquired choice and in Ninja, and I forget what his real name is, his character comes off like a big jackass. I mean, the, 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 a good portion of the first half of this movie is defined by the way that these two characters... One's, one is a, is a girl, an albino girl by the name of Yolanda. Ninja's the other guy, and he's like this white guy, you know, hip-hop gangster kind of person. And they're in a gang, but... Uh, there's different the movie piles on the differences in the way that they regard Chappie. Ninja wants to use him as a way to uh, obtain money to pay off a debt to a rival gangster and uh, Yolanda's kind of taken like a very motherly or sisterly relationship to him. I mean they they are both taken by this AI uh, ro this robot with this uh, artificial intelligence in very much the same way that say um ali sheedy was taken with johnny five in short circuit but uh <laughs> nice. and, and you know the movie has like this weird kind of tonal shift where it's a movie about establishing relationships between Chappie and the uh, yolanda and ninja and even the deaf patel character who is the person who creates Chappie, or at least creates the artificial intelligence that he puts into the uh to the uh uh, to the robot himself and, and the robot Chappie is meant to be part of this line of uh, robots that are meant to be like a, a police force most of those robots have like virtual intelligence installed which means that they just run on a certain program they can you know simulate human understanding or compassion so there are just certain I mean they could possibly malfunction or they pro they're probably not can't you know perform the job like a, the way a human uh, police officer could, and uh, I I think it's good at establishing how Chappie mm -hmm. learns and gets used to his surroundings and how he reacts to the way that Ninja treats him or the way that Yolanda and the Def Patel character treats him, and then the movie turns into an action movie later on because you've got uh, the Hugh Jackman character as this uh some people have jokingly referred to him as basically uh, the the ronnie cox character from robocop the guy who made a alternate version of a police robot that was uh, dismissed and now he's kind of looking for payback 
and the movie does get pretty huh. violent and I've very gory. I've never seen gory. RoboCop, so I wouldn't know. Oh, man. You need to check that out. Um, I but, know. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. Keep going. <laughs> that's all right. But I, I felt the action scenes were done, and uh, as far as what happens in the second half, and I mentioned Ghost in the Shell earlier, it's a it's a move that I think will either work for some people or not. Uh, but I was kind of I was kind of on board with you know the movie's spirit, even though I felt it was kind of kind of clumsy here and there. I I, I don't think the movie is earned like the hate that it's getting and maybe maybe it's just one of those movies you you put out and the public just won't just won't take to it i mean jupiter ascending had a similar similar problem when it was released and uh sometimes you just put a movie out there and it just doesn't connect so i guess it'll be up to the uh the home video release to uh entice people who otherwise would have been scared off but i i like Chappie even if most of the world finds it fashionable to hate on it mm, yeah that's a bummer I, I it looks like really interesting to me i've never seen uh what did you say district nine is that what it's called yeah district nine and he made a movie called elysium uh a few years ago I've seen with, elysium. Uh, okay. i saw that one but i missed district nine yeah i, I mean check he, that out too he loves i mean uh, i mean i mean people have you know criticized him of uh approaching similar topics or areas and district nine was set in johannesburg in south africa mostly in the poverty or poverty ridden areas uh and elysium that was set in mexico and but also you're dealing with uh, some poor war-torn kind of like uh environments and Chappie does the kind of the same thing but I do think that there are differences, uh, and even if there are certain uh, similar themes, I, I think Chappie kind of expands on them in the way that the previous films didn't. So I, I just think some people, I mean, it's okay if you didn't like the movie, but people who are being uh, really dismissive and being irritatingly dismissive about it, uh, I think they're they're either missing the point or maybe they're just not giving it a fair shake, but... Uh, you know what can you do but anyway i was happy yeah. that i saw the movie yeah cool right on i want to check it out i want to see that one big time and i wrote again I'm writing these down so that i'll go back and check them out <laughs> okay uh let's go into our tv topics do you have a uh, choice for a past option i want to talk to you about a little television show called Who's the boss? No, I'm just kidding. I, I haven't, I haven't thought, of, <laughs> I haven't thought about that either, dude. I'm sorry. Uh, let's see, what could be a past one? Hmm. Well, I'm still so up for the Who's the boss uh, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I haven't watched. I, I like, I don't even remember hardly anything from it. Like, I, ha I don't have any fond memory. I mean, I do have memories, but. Uh, that right. wouldn't be good enough. Let me see it. Tell me a show you. from the past. Uh, man, I can't think of one right now for some reason. Okay. Because I've been watching, I've been watching TV mainly recently, but I, I do have a lot of like corny sitcoms and stuff, but none that are coming to mind. Well, I guess I could talk about American Gladiators. Is that too weird? Uh, no, go right ahead, man. Okay, here we go. So. 
my past pick for television is going to be none other than American Gladiators. I could do yeah. the whole song. I won't, but I could right. do it. <laughs> no, uh, I think I think that these used to play. Um, I forget what network they were on. I, I know they were on Saturday mornings, but I the main thing, the main way that I watched them, I think they were there was like reruns playing of them in a one hour block on USA uh, during the day during one summer, and uh, or either that or they used to be on late, and my dad would tape them, and uh, the next day I'm saying and uh, a lot, excuse me. The next day afternoon, my dad was a contractor and he worked for himself. So sometimes he could be at the house hanging out. And me and my sister were just at home uh, for the summer on our own most days. And I want to say I was probably like 10 or 11 when I was watching this show so heavily. But I uh, I just – I absolutely loved it. I just love the challenges. I love the slow-mo replays. And I just love the competition and the prizes that they could win and – uh, I used to collect the action figures. You know, I had the action figures with the the little Eliminator uh, wow. <laughs> playset and the assault playset where you could like shoot, you'd shoot darts. And me and my friend would actually play it. We would like actually make our character run, and then we would be shooting the little darts at each other. And we would like try to make it as realistic as possible. And uh, it was it was so much fun. But I loved the characters and how like ripped and buff they were. But and they were like really competitive and. It was just – it was a cool show, but I have fond memories of watching it because those times spent with my dad during the summer, my dad loved it when I would scratch his head, which I know probably sounds weird, but he just would love it. And I would be just like going to town, like scratching his head, and he would pay me to do it. But we would sit and watch that show and hang out, and I would scratch my dad's head, and, and <laughs> it just was fun. And, it's, and that's – Probably one of the fond, one of the reasons I love it so much is because it is that fond memory. But me and Ross, when we became friends later, we made our own little version of American Gladiators. We called it Bombs Away. But I would stand. I had. I lived in a house that had a porch that was about 15 feet above the driveway, and so we would set up these obstacles and one of us would be chucking water balloons down at the other person and uh the the other person had to like he was running through you know from barrier to barrier i'm not sure are you familiar with the assault game on american gladiators i'm kind of getting ahead of myself here i i haven't watched it i mean it 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 was mostly very popular through like early 90s right or at least that was like the earliest that was like the earliest incarnation that's when i watched it so i've got like fleeting images in my head right now but i don't know any of the players i can remember very little about the obstacle courses but i I watched this show back when it was it was huge and i would i mean and i and i enjoyed it but i haven't really thought about it since can you give like a description (laughs) of the the the, uh the event Yeah, so assault is the event, and what would happen? Um, there would be a gladiator that would be up on a elevated pedestal, and they had a, a tennis ball shooter, so it would fire tennis balls at like ninety miles an hour, and they uh, and they would have a protective sh- they, they would have a protective shield around them so they couldn't get hit by the obstacles that were being shot at them, which I will get to in a second. But above the gladiator probably about 10 feet above him was a big target and so the gladiator's objective is to shoot the contestant 
or the contender, excuse me. The contender's mm-hmm. object is to uh, is to m- try to hit that bullseye. So what there are is there are different stations. There's like four or five stations that are, have a protective wall uh, that you can run to. So the contender would start off and run out and get behind one of the barricades or the barriers. And he, the whole time he's trying to just shoot and hit that target. So one of them was much like a little arm cannon that would shoot like this missile up there. And then uh, there was a crossbow one and uh there was a eventually at towards the end you could even throw balls up at the target and if you hit it it would like send off mist and shoot a bunch <laughs> of like the uh, smoke through the air at the gladiator so uh it was i just love watching that type of stuff and always wanted to be on it in and and stuff and so um me and ross ended up setting up a similar thing in my driveway and we had like a uh we just had this little system worked out and we would like the summer that we really became real close friends. Uh, I want to say it was the summer of like 94 to 95 or 95 to 96. We would sit there and we would fill up water balloons for probably a good hour. And we knew the specific kind that we liked only this little tiny store in this little town that we lived in had the best ones. And we got special nozzles for the hose spigot and we would learn how to tie them so good. One of us would be throwing water balloons at at the other person and the other person was trying to hit this old, like, old michael jordan basketball hoop that i had and every time they hit that they got points and we would like keep track and we we created these characters i was terry jenkins and he was bob tacken (laughs) and and we'd be like well a contender is coming up it's terry jenkins terry jenkins hometown is crockett california he's a school teacher we would just totally nerd out and geek out but we would keep track and i think we had a running tally over the summer (laughs) of like what our point values were because every time if you were playing the gladiator every time you hit the guy with the balloon you'd get five points on your on your scoreboard or whatever and then every time you hit the michael jordan hoop you'd get 10 points but it was a blast and it was all because of american gladiators and like i said i had the action figures and then i also played the video game on sega genesis which was so much fun i rented it from there was this used to be this music store in the town that i lived in it was called the warehouse and uh, and th- there was a lot in this area. I don't know if you're familiar with the chain or whatever, but we would rent uh, video games there, and I rented it on the Sega Genesis and played it many times. And it was just all the events from the television show would be on there. And I remember there's another event called Powerball where it'd be like four, like three or four gladiators are just standing in, uh, in standing guard of these uh, bins. Uh, that were like very they, they would like tip over and stuff but they were cylinders and the contenders are just running through in football gear just trying to stuff balls in the cylinders and the gladiators are just there like football just tackling them and certain balls were or there was like a middle one that was a gold i think or a golden color that if you got it in there you got two points but all the other out outer cylinders were worth one and it was just like a little mini football field set up and they would get so rough on there man it was crazy but it was fun i just i loved it and i was so excited when the new one came out but then it was like it was so bad because the first year if you watch the first season of american gladiators they're almost trying to like sports entertainment it they're like trying to make like gemini's like talking trash to people he's one of the yeah. gladiators and he's like i'm i'm the best he's got a big ego and then it, then i think someone sat him down and was like guys this is a terrible idea 
just be yourself, just be an athlete, and just be on the show. And then they were really always nice to the contenders, and they weren't trying to be like trash talkers. And it had a real good sportsmanship vibe to it. And I just I loved it. And then this new one came out a few years back, and there was actually a character called Wolf, and the dude had like eye makeup on and like <laughs> perm blonde hair, and he would like howl at the moon. It was so uh. stupid. I want to say Jason on Entertainment Landfill even spoke about it around the time that it came out uh, and like mentioned it, but it was it was real bad. But it just I, I'm like, why do you have to do that? J- just make entertaining obstacles that uh, you know, or entertaining things that are like that are good challenges, and just have athletic like bodybuilder like super athletes against like your average Joe, you know. And that's what I always liked about it. So. There you go. That's my pick. I'm glad I was able to pull that one out of the ether. <laughs> Man, uh, so basically, one of the things that kills at least the recent incarnation of it is they're introducing like pro wrestling characteristics to it. At least as far as how the gladiators themselves act. That's that's a real. I mean, I can barely remember the early show. But I don't. I mean, and it's one thing for them to be really confident in stuff. But yeah, I don't remember as much trash talking on that show uh, back in back in the early days. Yeah, it was just. The, I don't know if it was just the first half of the first season, but I remember it was real. Like the costumes weren't done as well, and it was real kind of mm. cheesy. And then I was like, "What? This is not the show I'm used to. I'm used to good sportsmanlike conduct and nice guys just going at each other in." in a competition you know and yeah so i think that they must have been sat down and someone instructed to go another way you know all right cool man all right uh as far as my pick um i'm not particularly sure whether this is going to come off as embarrassing or not um uh it is (laughs) it is the anime known as sailor moon and uh, how oh, I got in? Cool. My wife how used to I, watch that show. Oh my god! How I got into this? Well, for one, I've got a Hulu Plus uh, subscription, and I've got a friend of mine who I've known for like the past, I want to say, ten years or so, and uh, she's still a close friend. She's moved away from the area a little bit, and uh, we mostly communicate mostly through Facebook. But one of the things that I knew about her is that she likes certain things like uh you know final fantasy 7 which I, you know a video game i think is kind of overrated but i mean you know she won't hear none of that but uh she also was in love <laughs> I with agree this with sh- you i've never been able to get into those yeah uh but she was in love for this show and uh i was just thinking well well one thing's for sure this doesn't interest me or it definitely doesn't seem marketed to me and uh, and and I kind of wonder if thinking like that really exists in a world where bronies exist. But uh, it was on Hulu. It, like I said, it, I was strolling through Hulu Plus one night. I think I was using the app for my PS3. And I was just thinking, well, I was looking through the anime stuff. And uh, not too long ago, they started airing the old episodes. Uh, I mean, uh, this this apparently started uh, in the early 90s. And... Uh, they they're offering the old episodes with either dubbed or subtitle options, which I think is pretty nice since I usually watch most right. foreign stuff. I, I usually watch most foreign stuff uh, with subtitles. Uh, dubbing really dubbing really hurts in my opinion. 
Uh, but um, I agree, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, uh, the, I, I didn't mind it when it was like on Adult Swim. It can be done well in the case of something like Shamra, Samurai Shampoo or Cowboy Bebop. Uh, it definitely hurt Neon Genesis Evangelion, in my opinion. But uh, what, what do you think of Ponyo? Did you ever see Ponyo? No, I have not. Oh, oh, you mean the movie? Yeah. Yeah, I watched that uh, with subtitles too. <laughs> you did okay. I, I watched because I put it on for my son mainly uh, yeah. at first, and when uh, you know, so we just watched the dub version, and it's I it was okay. It seemed to go off pretty good, but it would, yeah, I, it would be probably a, more interesting to watch it subtitled. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. So anyway, I just figured, well, uh, what could this possibly hurt? And. Uh, the show itself, um, you know what? It's undeniably charming, um, and it's a and it's definitely seems to be mostly about you know you know girl interest, teenage girl interest in particular. Like she's you know struggling with school. The 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 girl herself is this name uh, I think Usagi Tsukino. I'm probably mispronouncing that big time, and. Uh, you know, a talking cat comes into contact with her, saying that, you know, gives her this ability to have this magical alter ego by the name of Sailor Moon, and she'll be in, in, in her spare time when she's not dealing with school or stuff at home or, you know, uh, dating life or the lack of a dating life, she'll be spending time trying to battling uh, these. Uh, otherworldly forces that are trying to sap humans of their energy and give it to this god i think um uh, something uh this evil entity of some sort and it's always revolving around the bad guys trying to entice humans like sometimes it involves jewelry sometimes it, it always seems to involve consumer or material related uh scenarios of which Sailor Moon some, sometimes finds herself involved with some hmm, interesting. Or like like one involves like a uh, a uh, gym where people are trying to lose weight, but in fact they're just losing their energy. You know, women are just losing their energy and being really seriously depleted, and uh, it, it's all very hyper. Even in the uh, the subtitle version, the you know the you know the the characters, especially the main characters, acting very hyper. <laughs> And uh, like a teenager, they can go from hot to cold, and um, you know, just like that. But and, and I'm I'm still kind of watching hmm. it. Interesting. It, it, That's cool. Throughout the throughout the course of the show, she gets allies. Like she's not the only person who can be the sailor. Uh, there's like there's like one, and she's named Sailor Moon, but there's one named uh, Sailor Mercury, Sailor Mars, Jupiter, and so on and so forth. But um. It's like I said. It's very charming. It's it's well done for its time, but uh, I I don't know if I'm going to become a diehard fan like my friend is. But uh, that's probably not the end of the world. So uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. But so Sailor Moon is my past choice. Have, Great, have that's you, cool. Have I've you, never you... seen one episode of it. <laughs> well, now you know where to find it. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Let me write this one down. Adam recommends oh, Sailor uh, Moon. All right. Yeah. <laughs> recommends being a loosely applied term here. I think. Um, 
let's see. Let's let's move on to uh, let's move on to games. Do you have either a past or a present option available? My pick for past is going to be uh, none other than GoldenEye on the Nintendo 64. It. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the game, or how familiar are you? Uh, I didn't own a 64 when it was available, but I did have a cousin who owned it, and one Christmas. One Christmas Eve night, uh, we uh, kind of played it for a few, for a little bit, you know, before our uh, all the all the grown-ups got on to us. But uh, when I finally got a '64 in college, uh, I managed to make up a small collection of it, and GoldenEye was definitely one of those games. So, uh, and I remember having good times with it. But yeah, I'm familiar with it in some respects. Okay, cool. But yeah, I remember my cousin would always bring over Nintendo Powers, and we he was telling me all about, uh, you know, I, I liked the James Bond movie, and then he was telling me all about how it was supposed to be this great new first-person shooter, and a lot kind of like Doom, but it was going to be all about James Bond and Spy and, you know, all that espionage and stuff, and I just thought, oh, wow, cool. And then when I found out about the multiplayer, uh, it was one of the first multiplayer games that came along for the Nintendo 64 where it was like, oh my gosh, that's why they put four controller ports on the machine, like, <laughs> built in, you know what I mean? And yeah. I remember the Nintendo Power said it had all these different ways that you could trap, like, uh, like that you could trap people and you could, there was all these techniques and strategies for what you could do in multiplayer in the game and just the thought that that these guys these nerds at nintendo power would go through and and make up the scenarios of how to you know strategize it just got me so excited man and it came out the summer in between my sophomore or my freshman and sophomore year and we just like at my house at that time was just kind of like the hangout house like none of us none of the none of my friends were wiling out and we weren't out like drinking or doing anything like that we were usually hanging out at my house playing video games mario kart star fox golden eye something like that and i just there was always enough people to get a really good game going and i just remember just trying out the weapons and just experiencing it and it was just it's such a great uh just such a great experience of being able to play each other and multiplayer was so great man and being able to team up and oh my goodness is the memories and the, the hours spent playing that game it was it was so much fun and it was just it just felt new almost every time you played it you know and, and then i remember eventually playing it so much that like I was kind of like I'm not bringing the story up to be arrogant, but if I'm being honest, no one could beat me in the game. Like no <laughs> one could beat me, and they would all team up on me, and it was just easier because then they would just keep coming at me. And I would, as soon as someone would spawn, I'd look at their screen, I'd be there in no time and kill them before they uh. even got a weapon. I mean, I was ruthless, and uh, I remember finally meeting my match because my cousin used to work at this like CVS Long's drugs place, and he uh, knew these two guys that worked there and he was always talking me up and they were like i think we could take him man i think we could take him and i remember we like made a special event out of it he like came and picked me up and we went to there and they're all older than me they were all like in college i was a sophomore in high school and uh, i remember we had a throwdown me and my cousin versus these two other guys and i finally met my match and got completely mowed down but um i just like i remember just putting people to challenges in that game and just like 
I, for the longest time, no one could beat me. It was crazy. It, that was before online gaming had taken off, so you just had to talk to your friends about it. And I remember talking smack to a lot of kids at school, and them coming to my house after school, and just leaving so, they would just leave so dejected. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh man, this is, we got our rear ends handed to us, but, uh, and then the, the single player game, you know, was real cool, and the, the missions on it were great. My dad loved the single player. He would play that and he loved to just sit back and snipe and to and to creep around and that's what was so neat about that is that it wasn't just a like all-out shooter type game and uh it's kind of interesting they designed the levels uh before they ever designed what missions you would do so and i don't know what what that is i saw a video on youtube about it uh it's like rare things you didn't know about goldeneye or something like that and uh, that's why the game has such a kind of like a non-linear feel to it is because they just design levels based on uh, action set pieces or just scenes from the film and uh, that the, yeah. it's kind of lends to more of a it lets you explore a lot more than uh, the previous titles had done I guess but the, it, I remember I've never completed the single player well that's not true I, I've done it on the easiest mode but I've never done it on like my dad went through and play all of them, you know, like because there was three different difficulty settings and he beat it on all of them. But uh, I remember the, the, wow. the cheat codes and stuff were cool to put in and uh, to play as Donkey Kong mode or paintball mode was really, really cool. Uh, and yeah, it's just a fun, great game. And I remember it fondly. And I remember this. I don't know how familiar you are with the game, but if you would go on the on the first level, the dam, once you got out on the dam, there was three towers and it, uh, if you went down onto one of the docks of one of those three towers, you could look across the water with a sniper rifle and see another tower over there and another structure. Well, somehow or another, these nerds on YouTube post videos about using a game shark and using some code like some way to hack into the game's code to where you can actually walk out on the water over there and go over on that island and i've recently just watched the video on youtube and it was so neat it's like almost like going behind the scenes of a movie or something you know it's, it's kind of fun <laughs> man yeah I, I, and uh you mentioned there, there's that's one thing that probably wouldn't stand today which is the idea of of split split screen co-op when people are trying to when players are trying to kill each other um that apparently didn't deter us back then um and it definitely didn't didn't seem to deter you at no, all man i was a punk i was a straight punk <laughs> <laughs> uh what was your favorite multiplayer level in that game i can remember I, I don't remember the levels too clearly i can remember like i just loved the way that the guns were animated and the way that the the gunshots fell off like uh, definitely the way that you could hear like the ricochets but uh and, and and definitely the way that you kill someone whether it was uh in the single or the multiplayer and just the way that their body would fall oh, yeah it, oh, i, I yeah. mean the, the animation yeah, the I mean, death animations that was one of the the other things my cousin uh, pumped me up about was reading the Nintendo Power is they say that like it would almost it would almost make you feel kind of sick like they that's how they described it like the way these guys <laughs> die is so realistic because at that time you know that that game was really revolutionary you know now it's all just uh, you know commonplace but I'm so, so what were you gonna say you were talking about the deaths and stuff I didn't mean to cut you off no not 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 at all and that was a good point as far as level design i could remember there was something there was like 
uh, it was definitely like this underground facility. Maybe it was the the underground facility where the satellite dish was. Um, if I forget if that was even a level, I yeah, I, I just really don't remember. I think that one is actually called the facility, and that's is that that's the one where you, you <laughs> <laughs> that's the one where there's like bathrooms and uh like you start yes. off in the bathrooms. Yeah, that is one of my, that's one of my favorite levels too. I love it. But my favorite level in that game, yeah. uh, for multiplayer, was the stack they called it, which was kind of like the li- like near the library. It was based or in and around the library level, I think, or you know from the film but what i loved about it was that there was big wide open rooms so it led to being able to snipe people really well the temple level on there (laughs) was uh, real open and big too but the stack was like lit better and it was easier to see what was going on and uh i just yeah so many good battles and at one point i got to I, i learned to destroy the body armor or like so i would like shoot the body armor so no one else could get it so that they like it would like you could kill people quicker it was like really sad how into that game i was but tell <laughs> <laughs> Tell me if you've ever been in this position because I definitely was uh, this way when I would play with like my older brother or my sister. You, you know, you you talked about looking at someone else's screen, and there came this po- this kind of like a I don't know if you call it like a stalemate where the two of you knew where the other one was, but they wouldn't move any further so that you wouldn't be caught in their crosshairs. Were you ever put in that position? Oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. It's like that kind of like that thing where it's like, well, who's who's gonna who's gonna go first who's gonna <laughs> <laughs> yeah someone's got to do something at some point <laughs> and you would be basically okay we're gonna still do it on the count of three <laughs> one two and then let the chips fall yeah. where they may but uh yeah it was that was insane and uh, i liked how you pointed out uh you know the way they designed the levels uh uh, before they designed the missions and how everything related to the game, and uh, you've probably known so much. You've probably heard about so many of these uh, video game adaptations of movies that just don't quite seem up to snuff. I mean, th- th- there was a lot of care uh, put into this one, and that's one of the reasons that it it, it seems to be such a memorable. Uh, it, it's held in such high regard. It, it 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 may be like a game of its time. Like it would be really hard to get into, considering all that all of the progressions that the first person shooter genre has made since then. But people still hold it in high regard for all of the right choices that that it made. Yeah, I it it did it did so well. And this is you know this is at the time. When Rare was just like they were starting to just hit it big, man. They were they were making really good, solid, well-made games, you know. And yeah, I, I mean that 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 was one of their ones that just t- took just put them on the map big time. I mean, because I think at that point in time they were doing they had done the Donkey Kong games on the Super NES, and I want to say that's the first game that they made on the 64. There could have been another one I'm not aware of, but then they got Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Diddy Kong Racing, Donkey Kong Country. I mean, all of those games were great, and they had a like a really cool sense of humor, but also like really good adventure and good, just good gameplay. You know, like really good gameplay. Yeah, I mean, and one of the criticisms you hear about uh, the, the Nintendo 64 run is that as far as the first party titles there weren't as many there weren't as many of them as you would think and rare was actually more productive 
than Nintendo was at making games for its own system. And uh, on that system in particular, it seemed to thrive. I mean, I wasn't too happy about Donkey Kong 64 because it just seemed to be like an endless item chase or just go after go into the deepest darkest corners of them any given map just tr- just to find a freaking banana right up, yeah. but yeah the, the games you mentioned there was one called jet force gemini oh, yeah. which was like this third person kill the bugs kind of thing uh did you play which that was one? very oh, difficult i played it for i owned for a little while played it uh, it was a little harder but i i i love the scope and the the certain ideas that they were going after with that game uh even if i didn't even if i didn't really play it to completion but uh many people loved it and and i i like the character design and the big insects are always creepy for me so um <laughs> i hear you uh, there but I remember it for those things. Okay, I only played it one time, and I just was like, "Meh." But it was old. it was when I was older because uh, I used to like I probably said a million times on last the last podcast we did. I used to only kind of just stick to the older games, and uh, so my cousin would yeah. come over and we'd always play them. And he put that in one time, and I was like, "Oh, it's a rare game on the 64. I'm sure it's awesome." But I just couldn't. I didn't give it a whole lot of time, but I I didn't like it. Uh, that much didn't seem that you know right compared to the other titles but that that's also yeah. interesting i never really thought about that like first party titles on the nintendo 64 i mean other than the i mean you got the mario party games which i think there was three of them but then there was mario right. 64 which i was dying for a yep. sequel to that oh my gosh that's like my favorite game of all time <laughs> but um there was that and then mario kart and Star Fox. I can't. I mean, I'm sure there was some more, but you're right now. That's like their bread and butter. That's what they do now. They just make those. You know, I mean, most of the Wii U games and the Wii games were all first party. Yeah, and they they, they did have the two Legend of Zelda games, and they did oh, yeah, have that's the. Right. I that's think right. that's the Zelda isn't, that, games. isn't that where Super Smash Brothers originated? Yeah, how can I forget that? You're right. So there were a lot. Like, there were a pretty good amount. That's true. But yeah, but Rare is right but up there with they, them, though. Really, if you think about it. I, I definitely agree. Those were those were some magical times, and you know that system that was be, that was the beginning of Nintendo kind of losing the console war to like either to mostly Sony, but Microsoft would still would soon get involved in the uh, console right. war, uh, as it were. But um, and the you know the, despite the fact that the the, the sixty four controller was just like this unwieldy weird piece of thing <laughs> uh <laughs> it, i mean some really great ground breaking games came out on it so i mean i can't deny that even even though i i've it seems like it's been forever since i've played any of the any of those games yeah there's this uh speaking of the controller i've personally always liked it i mean it is now when you look at the way they've got them designed it's and you look at that one it's like oh man what were they thinking you know what i mean but at the at the time though i <laughs> yeah. did like i I was I've always liked the controller. I feel like it, you know, the analog stick being introduced. I thought that was a great a great introduction for video games. I mean, that's like a big deal for controllers as controllers go. But um, I think that oh man, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> so sorry. Where was I going with this? That's what all right. I was going to say we're, we're talking about the controller. Okay, yeah, here we go. So, yeah. Speak so that I've always kind of liked the Nintendo 64 controllers, but have you heard of the Hero Mini Pad? You heard of that? 
the Hero Mini Pad. Yeah. No, I Hero have not. spelled H I R O. It's it was a third party controller oh. made in Japan. I've seen YouTube videos about it, and I want one. They're like I think you can find them for around a hundred bucks, but they they were made to look just like the Nintendo controllers, the Nintendo 64 controllers, the opaque colors, like, and they had some clear, clear colored, like transparent colored ones, but they made them look is like almost dead on, but it was, it's shaped and made a lot more like a GameCube controller or even like an Xbox 360 type. It's the, uh, the way that it's designed and it's real small. So you can get your hands on it pretty comfortably. And, uh, well, from what I've seen, but yeah, that it's interesting. I really want to get that and play some of the games on, on with that controller. Cause it might kind of just, I don't know. It might just switch things up and feel more comfortable for certain games, you know? So have you right. heard, so you'd heard of that before? I I've heard of the, the, the hero brand. It, it seems like they've, isn't that actual? Uh, isn't that an actual brand that makes n- controllers or something? Because I know I, I could have sworn I've heard of Hero before, but not that particular uh, controller design. I'm not. I'm not sure. The only thing I know of is just the Nintendo 64 one. But I mean, for everyone okay. loves those things, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they were making you know other popular uh, controllers and third-party accessories. Oh, cool! Yeah, cool, man. Last thing I expected was to get into a Nintendo 64 <laughs> discussion, but we did, man. It's my favorite console of all time, and so I, I hadn't awesome. thought of anything before, so I thought, why not talk about GoldenEye? It's awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, anything else to add? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Well, um, for my past option, we're back in Nintendo, and I'm in the Super Nintendo era, and mine's is super mario all-stars nice yeah um i'm not gonna waste any time saying the obvious thing which uh these are great games and this is just one of the best compilations if not the best compilation ever uh maybe i don't know maybe someone could come up with a uh a different option but uh the reason i bring it up is i i just recently kind of dusted off the super nintendo Put that in, and I've been wondering, back in the day, uh, I, I would play, I mean, you know, the replay value on these things were insane, but uh, I, I was so comfortable with that controller and with the way that Mario and the other characters moved in those games that I pretty much had it down pretty good. Like, I can just go in and just blow through the entire game, you know, just like that with seemingly little effort and i haven't touched these games for well over a decade and i just started up just to see i mean have do i still have the skills and the unfortunate truth is i do not (laughs) i am missing jumps i am getting i'm coming into contact with enemies and losing my power ups and while i can still figure out the layout of most of the levels uh, I, yeah, I'm more prone to get. I'm more prone to dying now, and it's just one of those <laughs> more things. Prone you, to you, dying. You, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where you haven't played a game, and it, 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 it's 
playing it, uh, you know, your skills or your familiarity with an old game, it's a perishable thing. Yeah. And I rem- and I was reminded of that when I tried to get back into like say Street Fighter 2 or Street Fighter 4 and I realized I forgot so much about moves <laughs> or character animations or hit points. I I was just man, how did I lose all that stuff? I mean, cuz I dedicated who knows how many hours when I was a kid into something like this, and it just seemed to amount to nothing. Yeah, it's so. not exactly like getting on the bike and riding again. It's uh, it's the, the controls right. are different, and because of the way how awesome all the stuff is these days. I mean, even the the two D platformers that you play nowadays, the controls are so tight and they make them so well that when you jump back into that old world, it's like, oh man, it can feel a bit not not even that it's clunky, but it's just you're kind of a Adjusted to oh. this this new newer style, I would say, and uh, this kind of yeah. reminds me. I don't want to jump at a Nintendo zone, but uh, the, I I bought my son got really interested in Sonic the Hedgehog, and so I bought him like the mm-hmm. Sega Genesis Classics for the PS3. And oh my gosh, yeah, yeah dude, play. Have, when's the last time you've played Sonic the Hedgehog? Because to me, controlling him feels like driving a semi on ice. It's so bad. I have never liked Sonic for for reasons I imagine you're about to jump into because <laughs> it, the way he controls it just seems um, counterintuitive to how platforming usually works, or maybe I'm just so used to Mario. Yeah, and well, stuff. The, you know, they were all about that blast processing, and so uh, <laughs> so <laughs> they they had to show off the speed, and um, I. You know, I loved Sega, like Sega Genesis back in the day because it was the first next mm-hmm. generation console to come out after the 8-bit era. Well, maybe my – I could be wrong about that. I don't know all the history of all the consoles that were released at that time. But to me, on my radar as like an 8-year-old or whatever it was, we went into Toys R Us and we saw – that was back when they used to have the just the demo tapes – playing on a reel and uh we were like man this is insane we gotta buy this we gotta convince our dad to buy this for us and i remember having a conversation in the toys r us aisle my dad's like okay look because we had an nes with tons of games and he's like now listen kids there's the, the guy that this is this is how informed we were back in the day the guy that works at toys r us here told me that if we wait a few months there's a new one of these ones coming out but it's for the Mario system. So if we want to wait, no dad, we can't wait by Sega Genesis now. So, <laughs> so we took it home. And of course, back then it, it's, it's crazy. Like, uh, we can't complain about the economy too much because most people have both consoles these days. And, uh, and back then hardly anybody had both consoles and you bought one and you had to defend it and you had to stick to it. And I've heard a lot of other podcasts say that. And I remember as a kid, debating Taz Blue in the face over which system was better, which is such a silly conversation to have, but as a ten year old, you know, you're willing to go to war for what you <laughs> what what you have and what you play, you know. So uh Oh grown grown people are still having that that argument even which, with new systems which I to can't this believe. very day. I, I honestly this day and age I can't believe that still goes on. I'm like, really? Like you're an adult and having this conversation. Yeah. Can't you just say I like this one better because I mean that's it. It's where it ends. So why do you have to <laughs> But right. all that to say, have so have you been playing the Mario All-Stars lately or have you did you it's just a memorable thing? It, it, it's kind of something I revisit every every now and then, but uh, I mean, we were 
you were mentioning about you know the, the mechanics of the game. It, it's not that Mario feels clunky after a time. It's it's not like it, it feels dated like the way that say GoldenEye feels dated. Th- those controls are very tight. You know, just the way that movement and inertia and all these things. It's just like I said, it's a perishable thing, and I I, I would need to spend a little bit more time with Mario to just to just get back into the swing of things. I mean, it, 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 it's it's like getting to a bike, but it's like trying to ride the bike for a few more hours until you get used <laughs> right. to it. So, uh, uh, I still think those games are just masterpieces. The the, the lost levels thing, kind of less so. That was that was just you know someone's just evil attempt to make another Mario game. And that, that game is just completely evil. I don't think I've ever completed it, but, uh, the, the, the super Nintendo version, the 16 bit versions of all those games are just, are, are just are. amazing. Cool and looking. the, the only, the only, I mean, just the way they sound too, but the only way that you can make that compli- that compilation better, and apparently they've done this, they managed to squeeze in a version where it has Mario All-Stars and Super Mario World on the same cartridge. I don't oh, know how they awesome. did that, yeah, but they did. I, speaking yeah. of that, I just, um, about three years ago, four years ago, I bust out my wife's old SNES, which uh, was her original one that she had, and it no yellowing on top, which is cool. It's kind of a hard hard to get one of those. Um, but she had Super Mario World, yeah. and I was like, I've never played this game. Like, I, I want to play it. So I played it wow. through, and I beat the entire thing, and she would sit there and help me and, like, tell me what to do and where to go. And <laughs> it was so rewarding to go through that game and, and clean it out finally. And I've actually, to tell you the truth, I've never beaten the first mario the mario third one i've never i've never beaten him oh and man it's, it's i had this idea for a for a, uh, a youtube channel called late to the party where i mean i'm a, such a big fan of these pop culture things but like i said i've never seen robocop i've never seen i've never finished the first mario game so i was gonna work my way through the games and talk about it so people so people could awesome. kind of like relive it through my eyes, but not a younger kid's eyes, a person's eyes from their generation. So a little bit more identifiable with guys our, our age, you know. But uh, but yeah, so I, I yeah. remember playing Super Mario World in just because I wanted to be able to finally say I did it, you know. And that uh, is such a cool, fun game, <laughs> man. It That's one where... Yeah, I mean, I just don't yeah. think I can ever... I mean, every four or five years, you could pick that game up and beat it and... It, it would be enjoyable. I don't think it would get old. It's just, it's timeless, you know? It really is. Yeah, and most people consider that to be the best Mario game. Some people choose 64, some people choose 3, but I, I, I could definitely make the argument that I think that's the, the crowning jewel of the series so yeah, far. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. I, I love all the newer ones, too. All the new Mario games that come out, I mean, yeah. they're a lot of fun, they, they, and especially when you get a group of people together and you can play and you get all frustrated with each other for getting each other's way and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. Now, did you have you ever beaten the second Mario uh, on Mario All-Stars or the NES? Have you ever completed that? Uh. L- like the U.S. version, not not the Japan. The, the Lost Levels is right, the Japanese right. version of Mario too. It's, uh, yes, yes, I, I've done that. Okay, many cool. Times, now actually. you know that. Like I just learned a few years ago that that game was like a totally different game that they just licensed with Nintendo. Character. That's so mm-hmm. cool because it was what Doki Doki Panic or Toki Doki Panic. 
Yep. Yeah, that, that's the name. That's that's so cool. I mean, it's very interesting that they were like, nah, the the Mario two is too hard. We gotta just just take these characters and just plaster them in there and call it a Mario game. It's crazy. But it but it, it totally did, works though. And, all, though. and a lot of the characters from that are still kicking around, and they're like mainstay characters, which is neat. Oh yeah. Like shy a guy, shy Birdo, guy, or uh, that's where they Birdo made his appearance. <laughs> <Birdo. there. laughs> nice, yeah. dude. Yeah, that's a great pick, man. That's uh, all those games are so great. I mean, just and uh, to think about that. I mean, Mario, the the I, like we're kind of coming out of Atari and out of that era into this, and you, like your first shot out of the box, you make an absolutely outstanding game. And then what's even trippier is to think of the jump from. Super Mario Brothers to Super Mario Brothers three, and just how far they advanced on the same console, just with the style of it and the color of it and the different things you could do, is just like yeah. man, it's so crazy that they just hit it so big on their first outing, almost, you know. And I'm maybe they had failures and stuff before, but in terms of like stepping up to the plate and just knocking it out of the park, man, it, they did such a good job. And and those games are the they are like the I don't the epitome of a platformer and there's just nothing it's just the controls and the way that you can kind of control mario in the air and you can kind of make him go back and forth they just apps whoever figured out the physics of that game is just they just got it so good they did so well on it you know yeah and and you have to consider uh i mean these days if you send out a game that's either buggy or broken and all they feel they have to do is patch it back then they had to work and slave on that game to make sure that it could run as best as it possibly could because there was no chance to do something like that maybe you could recall copies if you know something was wrong but they worked so hard i mean the best games of you know the nes the super nintendo and other game and other consoles the generation they had to bust their ass to make sure that everything worked out well because by the time you shipped it that was just the best you could do under time and schedule so it 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 just it still feels like such an accomplishment though those games still work as well as they do point i mean that back in those days you're right it had to be perfect when it shipped because if not it's like you're gonna get major backlash for that you know and nowadays is it's so convenient i mean i'm not saying it's a bad thing but just think of that amount of stress you know right. like okay is it perfect yes put it out you know it's crazy it's nuts yeah i can't help but notice that your skype photo is a picture of a black uh super nintendo yeah, at my, least that's uh, what it uh, looks like my, let's see so april's really close friend her boyfriend um, had an old Super Nintendo, and I had started to kind of customize some 64s around that time. And he was like, "Hey, would you can you can you clean up my uh-huh. uh, Super Nintendo?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, of course." And I got it, and it had like a hole in the top of it. <laughs> it was like totally messed up. So I took the <laughs> I took the guts of his out, and then just put them in the shell of another one, and uh, murdered it out, which was uh, like all flat black. Um, and but then just the buttons and like the uh, the different parts to it had gloss black and dude it that thing is so sick and every time I go over to his house I just admire it I'm like that is so clean looking man it's so clean and I've done <laughs> I've done a lot of 64s too like I did a Waluigi version for my friend uh, JT and I did a I did a, a, oh, wow. a Mario version for uh, Ross's son Luca and for Bill 
and then I did a Luigi version for Emma and Jason and sent them to him. And uh, I've got a few more ideas. I did like a – I first – it all started because I wanted to do a white one with a blue LED light to look – make it – to style it after the Wii. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just did a green one and changed the light out to green. And then I did a purple one for my sister. It almost looks like the GameCube purple, like that kind of like – it's almost like a cotton oh, candy man. bubble – like. Sh- grape shampoo like type of purple i don't know if that you can imagine that or not but it uh it's it's that same gamecube like muted purple color which is awesome yeah. and uh i just it's fun man it's just and and taking them like i'll find them at, thr- at thrift town with like change in them like pennies inside of them and i've learned to just completely take them apart and restore <laughs> them and restore the games and it's just you know, I, I always liken it to like an older gentleman that collects classic cars and fixes them up. Mine's like that, but a lot cheaper and a lot more nerdy. But I still, I still enjoy it. So oh, it's man. fun. Cool. I, di- I didn't know that about you. I, I didn't know that you worked on old, old <laughs> yeah, uh, man, systems hey, like if that. You got, if you got one you want, put in your order, and maybe two years later, I might have it done. It takes me a while to get around to them, but when I do them, it, it, it's a lot of fun. And I always, I just geek out about sharing it with people. <laughs> you know, I just. I just totally love that. But yeah, yeah I'll, I'll send you some pictures or something of some of the creations I've done. It's fun. All right. Um, let's move on to uh, present option. I believe uh, you, I do. you got um, one. It's, I don't really know how present it is, uh, but it's it's newer, and it's Minecraft. And I just – that game, have you ever played it? Do you know much about it? It's a fun game. It's a fun game. I I I have not even though I've I've got at least you know I I'm not particularly sure if my laptop could run it but I could easily get a version of it for like uh the PS3 or Xbox 360 or the PS4 um and there's even a version available for the the Vita but I, I for some reason I'm not sure what it is that's keeping me from it uh and and and, and I've got an idea of how the game yeah. kind of works but um, but um, maybe uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what's really keeping me from it. But go go on, explain uh, well, your Lawrence, relationship. My son to it. Lawrence, who's now eight, I think when he was three or four, he came. Uh, we came across a video about it on YouTube, and he just took a liking to it instantly. And maybe it's because. I always kept Legos around him and we would put together Lego and he would sit there and help me do the, you know, instruction booklet and stuff. And now he can put, he's just real good with them. And I think at the time though, he connected with it for some reason, like right away. We bought the uh, version that goes on the iPad. It was real hard to control. And then I learned it was on the 360. And so we, we bought it for him. And at, by that time, he had watched so many videos, he kind of knew a lot of the, of how to do things. And we kind of started off, there's two modes. There's uh, a creative mode, which just gives you access to every possible um, item that's in the game. And and when I say item, it could mm-hmm. be a like what resembles a two foot by two foot cube that most of the things, most of the world is built out of. But you have some plants and you have some other items that you can use. But uh, you you have access to every one of those in, when you play in creative. And there's no the monsters can't hurt you. You can fly and you can't die and stuff. And well, it's it's just kind of the free creative mode that's why they call it creative then there's a then there's a survival mode which you start out with nothing and you have to just 
make everything that you need, you know? So that's kind of how it works. So first we started mm-hmm. off in creative mode, just building ridiculously huge castles. And it was, it got boring real quick. I was real surprised. And I just thought, why would anybody want to play in the survival mode? That that seems so silly. Like you, why do that when you could have ev- access to every block? But then I don't know. I just, me and Lawrence started playing it in survival mode because he was begging me forever. Come on, Dad, play survival with me. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. And I would just watch him play. But uh, we, when we started playing, it was uh, it's kind of a cool memory even. Because like, we were having our hardwood floors redone in all of our bedrooms. And so we were staying at my parents' house just because the house was a construction zone. And my dad has a copy of the game. And he has it hooked up in his theater room on a 100-inch uh, rear projection TV. Yeah, so oh, we, man. we started playing it in there. And man, before I knew it, we like had this whole house built and just the sense of accomplishment from having to go out into the forest and cut down the wood and then make it into planks and then yada yada, you know, so on and so forth to to create the design. It's like it's just something that's so rewarding about it. Meanwhile, you have to look out for you know monsters that are trying to get you at night and you're having to eat you know eat food and stuff to be able to keep your health bar up and pretty soon pretty soon you can right. start far- like farms and you could you know put the put all the animals in different pins and then they'll mate and make babies so that you can you know so that you can kill them and like you know and you can eat a raw pork chop which restores like two or three hearts but then you eat a cooked Ugh. pork chop and it gives you like five or six hearts and it's just uh I, we got into it like I really got into it and recently my son has wanted to put videos on YouTube and we bought the little capture device to do so but we really kind of we've recorded a few times and it's just so it just feel like we're not talking because we're really focused on like just playing the game so we're, we're reworking some ideas like for example We've gone into creative mode, and we've uh, created little obstacle courses and little races. And then we we start at the beginning, much much like uh, you know the Amer- American Gladiators el- Eliminator. We just like we both start at the same time, and you oh you have to climb up this ladder, and you have to walk across these really really skinny planks that are really hard to navigate across. And if you fall, you got to go back. <laughs> and we have all these weird little you know hard jumps to make and stuff. And it but and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, some of these guys get so creative with like the uh, electrical like element that's in the game, which is called redstone, but it's basically like electrical wire, and you can make vending machines, and you can even make computers, and there's just these certain I know there's oh these certain gosh. ways of doing things that are just they, it makes it just fleshes it out, and I guess you can put a you can craft a saddle, you can put a saddle on a pig, and then you can craft a stick, and then you can cut. <laughs> Yeah, it, like, like you, do. you do, and then, <laughs> and then, so you get a stick and a carrot attached to the end of it, and you can ride the pig, and the pig will chase the carrot. So there's this one guy that's got a YouTube channel, and he, one day he built a pig raceway, and they raced pigs, and that was their 20 minute video, and it was really creative and really fun. So like I'm saying, there's just you could build full fledged. Uh, dungeons you could build uh, 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 you can do puzzles you can do all sorts of stuff in there and it's uh, fun but what I've been playing it recently with Lawrence and before he would always want to create a new world every time we played and I'm like man this is driving me nuts because all we're ever doing is starting out like we never get to develop a world or build a really nice house so lately he's been way more in tune 
with with sticking to a goal and you know and we're hoping we can kind of take that logic into a youtube channel so that that way it's not boring but it's kind of planned and stuff but sometimes adam will get down in this in like a a, a natural mine uh, because you can just dig your way down into the earth and find all sorts of stuff but you can also like find these like mines and sometimes there's lava in them and waterfalls and it's just so fun to go down and loot and see all that you can find and you're trying to find diamond and you're trying to find these rare items and when you find them it's fun and we have like adventures and like little like little moments and memories that we've created with one another that are uh, extremely satisfying and it's almost like i was there it's like we collected we went on this one particular journey where we were like my son had so many good items we were so excited about all the things we found and the poor kid fell in a pool of lava and just as i and I was going and you have some time to try to jump out of it. And as I was going over to turn the blocks that he was standing on into stone so that he wouldn't keep burning, <laughs> he was jumping out to get into the water and I misplaced the block. So it blocked him from being able to get out and he died. Uh. And the, my poor kid, he was just like crying and not because he was mad, but because oh. he was so disappointed to lose all those items. Now, yes, that's a bit of a sad story, but what it does to for me is it just shows me how interesting and how uh, much of an experience a game can be and it's i don't think we'll i don't think we'll forget that anytime soon you know and so that's my peak no. that's my pick for the present game uh it's i think that you know it's it is interesting but there is a bit of a learning curve and i don't think i would have ever played it if it wasn't for my son you know at the and that's not to say oh, yeah. that had I have played it without children that I still would have enjoyed it, but I know that I definitely would not have played it if it wasn't for him wanting to play it, you know. So and maybe that's what's been holding you back right. is that you're like, because eh, I can see probably not diving into it personally. But Well, well, usually um, my problem is I've always got this ridiculous backlog of stuff I right. need to play in – I'm trying to maintain a hold on that because I subscribe to the uh, both Xbox Live Gold and PSN Plus, and they give you free games every month. And it's all the, that backlog just keeps piling right. up, and uh, they'll offer sales on games. And I'm just like, I'm never going to be able to do <laughs> any of this stuff. But um, I've heard that about Minecraft. I've heard how it taps into that creative spirit or drive that kids have and no wonder they take to it the way they yeah, do and that's a point i didn't even touch on but uh, to see to see like as a dad to see my son's mind just like working and firing on all cylinders i'm like how do you remember how many blocks of wood it takes to make that and he just knows and he you should see him man he's like a He's like Rain Man on that thing. He's just so good at it, and and all kids are. And and you're and I think that dude. The I think it just teaches kids to like make things and to not like. And and what a yeah. world! I mean, golly! I mean, back in the day, it was model rail, railroad, and that that stuff is still fun. You could still build a whole entire little world for yourself in your basement if you you know if you have the means. But the the fact that you can just jump on the game and build one that you can get down in the world and walk around and experience is just so neat and the collaborations that people have and the some of the things that people have done in that are just so ridiculous i'm like 
how did you ever do that? It's amazing. The designs and the scope, the scale and the scope of how big some of these things are. It's just, it's just so crazy, man. But yeah, it's great to see, you know, it, I think it teaches things too. Like, oh, well, man, if we keep chopping down all the trees around us, we're going to have a barren wasteland. And then we're going to have to go really far to get trees. <laughs> so I guess we should set up a farm where we can plant saplings that will grow over time. Oh, oh, and look at this. If you kill a skeleton, then you can use bone meal. You can make bone meal to make your trees grow faster so that you can like renew your crops faster. And it's just like, what? It's crazy. But it teaches. I think it's a very valuable, especially for younger kids to you know to learn that stuff it's like not everything's just handed to you you have to go out and get it and this is how you go out and get it and i know it's all on a smaller scale but i still think that it teaches like valuable lessons and even for the math thing like if you're trying to make your roof layout right you kind of have to figure out how long you want your wall to be it's just i think it's gonna put like mechanically i think it will put a lot of kids into perspective and just relating to things spatially and stuff it's it's just cool man it's very cool Oh man, yeah. I mean, I, I, over the years, I've seen like YouTube videos, uh, and uh, we were talking about uh, Scott Johnson in uh, his uh, various uh, podcasts. Uh, he has a YouTube channel where he's uh, jumped into where I mean, his his kids play that game, and uh, and I can remember he he went he logged on to one server. Was it the Frog Pants server, remember, or was it just a rant? Uh, yeah, it, it could be. It, it, I forgot. I forgot which ones. It, which one it was. I mean, it, it's still archived on the channel, so you can go back to it. But it's like he went into one person's server, where out into the vi- I mean, I forgot what what kind of buildings was made, but out into the. I'll never forget this. Out in the vista, he made like who knows how big this thing is. He made like this mural of Professor Farnsworth from Futurama and he's got like a dialogue bubble where he says, good news everyone. And I was like, how long did it take him to make that? I just, it just boggles, it just boggles the mind. Uh, I'm wondering, but I mean, people are just really driven to make that and the game encourages that. So, um, yeah, it, it seems to really tap into that thing that, you know, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, when we were kids, like either we had like Legos or something or just, you know, whatever we could to make our own little worlds. And kids today, I mean, they have like unlimited space and uh, kind of unlimited tools to do with it. It's 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 kind of uh, awe-inspiring in that yeah, respect. Yeah, well, you can remember being... Uh, when you were younger or even, maybe not even younger, you can remember wanting to design games and it's kind of, it's, it's almost like you get, you could design a full out like Zelda dungeon. Like you could recreate it. You could make it, you know what I mean? And the way that you can yeah. do the puzzles and stuff, like some of these YouTube channels, all they are is guys going into other worlds and other, uh, scenarios and dungeons or or like adventures and all they do is try to make their way through and there's little hints on the wall that tell you how to do things and it's it's very cool it's super um it's just like kind of like yeah it just there's no there's almost no limit to what you can do you know and it's, it's so cool oh yeah very neat oh yeah. okay <laughs> so what have you been playing <laughs> cool all right my less uh, creative, less awe-inspiring uh, pick for a recent option, it, but but very entertaining regardless, 
is a game that recently came out for all of the PlayStation uh, 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 consoles, and it's called Hell Divers. I don't know if it's available on PC or not, but uh, all I know is right now it's an exclusive for the PlayStation formats. And what it is, it's a uh, kind of a futuristic set uh, sh- uh, cooperative or single player shooter where you it, it, have you seen the movie Starship yes. Troopers? Okay, well, basically they ripped off the story from that without any of the satire or any of the uh, gratuitous nudity <laughs> uh, from the Fall Verhoeven movie. And basically it's you and up to th- three other players can drop in on this big campaign to go to these worlds where you either have to fight big bugs or cyborgs and i forgot what the other race was called and it's basically like this big uh big effort to to uh take over all these areas so that the humanity can uh, win this war and and it's very much like starship troopers is this jingoistic raw raw humans can do everything and i'm surprised at no point in the game they ask you you know do you want to know more or something Mm. like that but um but yeah i mean you get access to uh all sorts of weaponry and perks and one of the things that this game does is it it adds this little mechanic called stratagems where you hold down one of your shoulder buttons and you input this certain code with the directional pad and that will either send down more ammo or a special kind of weapon and uh, when you unlock it you can even get uh vehicles like uh, i mean basically you're going to be on foot through so much and the areas can either be big or small depending on where you go so having an all-terrain vehicle can definitely help here's the thing that really makes this game challenging um basically anything can and will kill you uh uh, you can be killed by oh friendly gosh. fire. You can you can be killed. Like say, at one point you're able to download a turret. <laughs> um, if the turret, if you're in the way between a turret and an enemy, the turret will just fire yeah. anyway, and you'll die. Um, uh, you've got uh, you. Everything comes down into these like these little crashing pods that go to the ship and if you're in the way if you're in the path of a pod it crushes you you're dead um if uh as you go throughout these maps you come upon these little scouts and you have to kill them before they sound an alarm otherwise a a big wave of stuff just comes after you and uh so you have to take care of where you are in relation to your teammates, in relation to where your enemies are going to spawn. And during that whole time, you're achieving objectives like you're going to go over here and activate this satellite or you're going to dismantle this nuke or you're going to escort some idiots who are unlucky enough to be on this planet in the first place and escort them to safety and you always have to make sure of your environments of any surrounding enemies and try not to kill other people and um it's definitely uh, i mean you can do single player but and I played through the first a little bit of the game until I was level five by myself uh, because uh, around that particular time, the odds are just clearly not in your favor. So uh, it, it 
it definitely stresses uh, multiplayer stuff, and it works for both local and co-op. The, the game has an isometric view, kind of like, say, Diablo or StarCraft, where you've got where you can basically see everyone. So keeping track of yourself and other people is not that bad, although mistakes can and do happen. And uh, this was on sale on PSN a couple of weeks back, and I played a little bit during that first weekend, didn't touch it until Saturday, uh, Saturday yesterday, and basically played on it for like four hours with a bunch of guys that I didn't know, and thankfully they were uh, like-minded and very polite and we helped each other out and it was it was just a blast just trying to get through a level trying not to kill each other and uh i, I it's it's unlike any other game i play i mean you mentioned i think you were mentioning like the new super mario brothers the wii one where you could have up to four people on the screen and sometimes you could accidentally knock it's someone off a platform so or yeah it can. It feels like the kind of gameplay that can make or break <laughs> friendships. Or yes. So. But um, but that's the kind of feeling I got from Helldivers. And uh, if you've got a PlayStation, you know, three or four. I mean, I mean, I think it, I think it's a decent decent pickup. I think it was like uh, it's probably gone off of sale, so it's probably close to. 20 bucks right now but I, i'm having a good time with it so uh that's my uh so pick awesome, for a man. present that, topic that game sounds nuts it sounds absolutely crazy and it's and it's beautifully uh, animated it's an indie it's an indie effort and playstation and you know to be fair both xbox champion their indie games because the triple a stuff that can always get delayed or it's pushed to certain parts of the year which means they can roll out these smaller titles in the meantime uh, and this is definitely a very inexpensive option for anyone who has uh, a PS3 or a PS4 or a Vita. And there's a lot of replay value to it, but uh, I would definitely recommend uh, either getting in with multiplayer, whether that's online, whether that's local, because uh, that game gets hard really quick. That's cool. I, uh, how much does it cost? Uh well I think it's like nineteen ninety nine right now um I it was on sale like a, a week or two ago for like seventeen ninety nine okay. but uh I think I think it's closer to twenty right now it it'll probably go on sale again sometime but uh uh that's the pricing on it as okay. far as I cool. know nice so uh that's that's my choice for a present option I have been playing more I've been I'm really close to finishing my second play route through of uh mass effect 2 but uh that's old news so i, <laughs> right won't get on. Into I, that. I can't wait to delve into those games i don't i don't know when but at some point i will play those ones i can't and uh, i hear they're awesome uh you may not like you told me you've been pretty busy have you made any progress on last uh, of us i may have played like once or twice but not i'm not very far uh, my cousin's boyfriend was over last night and he was like dude you're not even because i just put mm-hmm. it on to show my sister and uh he was here and he was like yeah. dude you're not even halfway through man i'm so jealous i wish i was like in your shoes and i like, had not <laughs> experienced it yet so i'm um, uh, yeah i haven't progressed too far in it but uh i learned a few things like some techniques from him yesterday so that should hopefully that will help cool. me uh you know fare a little bit more but i want to i can't wait i can't wait i just want to yeah. keep keep experiencing it man it's a, it's definitely a fun game it's great 
they did a great job on it. All right. Um, well, that's done for a present option. Uh, now, I texted you about this uh, as far as reading options, and you said you may have had uh, some ideas or some uh, some topics to discuss. Uh, do you have any reading picks for either past or present that you want to talk well, about? Well, I'm very happy to uh, talk about this, about what I've been reading. Unfortunately, because of being busy and stuff i did not get to read as much of it as i wanted to mm-hmm. but the little bit that i did read i am like really i'm very pulled in and i it's it's just really keeping my attention and it's done very well and it's none other than the script written by jason and steven from entertainment landfill that they talked about on their last show which is titled Shinebox. And dude, yes. I I text Steven about it, I think over the week or something, and he emailed it to me very promptly. And uh I like made sure I you know wanted to check with Jason and he was like, Yes, dude, read it and let me know what you think. And so I'm telling you, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I was like, Okay, let's see how this thing is. The let's see how good of a script they you know, or a story they can put together and it's uh it's very very thorough and uh it's it's very entertaining so far so i haven't even gotten into the meat of the story but just the way that they're the angles that they would like it, i feel like it would be easy to shoot it because they've done a really good job of describing exactly what they want and i to, to be fair i have never even read a script before i've read like a little bit of it and i've done plays and stuff in high school but to to read us like they're it's it's interesting and i'm like man they seem to know what they're doing (laughs) because it's pretty well put together and uh it's it's unfortunately i can't share much about like any characters or anything uh but there's uh, but there's already some pretty zany stuff that uh, has been uh, going on so it's kind of it's i cannot wait to see where it goes and i don't want to put jason on blast or uh, put him on the spot or anything but he he mentioned mm-hmm. that um he wants to know what i think about it because he's talking about making it available to patrons of the podcast entertainment lamp oh yeah so nice. that that includes you my friend so uh it, that would be cool and so i don't know when he's gonna announce that yes. but he has got my thumbs up i think everyone would enjoy reading it and uh so yeah unfortunately that's really all i can say but i am i am roped in enough to where i'm really looking forward to see where it goes so that's kind of what i've been reading <laughs> shine box the script by steven oh. sisk and jason wallstrom <laughs> and oh i don't know God. if you know the yeah. story behind it or whatever but they used to work at a frame shop and i i'm sure you've heard it but uh just so the listeners your yeah. listeners know is that the uh these two guys mm-hmm. the hosts from a co-host or bill also hosts but anyways um they worked at a right. frame shop together and they were basically passing the script back and forth via email uh and sometimes they would have the laptop right right there at mj designs where they worked uh, uh building frames together but they would pass it back and forth and just kind of try to almost like outdo each other to see who could who could come up with the <laughs> crazier idea you know what i mean and so uh i don't think i've gotten into that part of it yet (laughs) but i can't wait like that's what i'm looking forward to is because what i've already read is so like okay cool i can't wait to see how nuts it gets you know so yeah it's cool man what were were you gonna say though um well i'm kind of wondering does uh i don't know if does this qualify as your past or your present because it kind of 
qualifies for both. What, I mean, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, there? it does qualify as both. I, I guess because it was written so so long ago. But uh, but okay. I honestly, uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. So that would that would probably qualify more as my present. I'm sorry, I was caught off. I forgot about the about that. <laughs> I just went right into no. it. No, that's that's. No man, that's that's more than okay. enough. Um, is that is is that your that's is that the, all the reading material you've uh, you're able to talk well, about? Well, I, I did want to. Um, if you want me to jump into my past, I do remember wanting to bring it up. And to sure. be honest, again, because of lack of preparation, I don't have a lot to say about it. But I would love to right. find these books. I, I read them a lot when I was kids. Uh, they were Encyclopedia Brown books. Are you familiar with that series? Um, yeah, a long time ago when I was a yeah, kid. So, yeah, so, uh, I just loved how it's like little short stories or little mysteries, really, and, uh, the goal was to make the kids that are reading it be able to try to predict, like, how to solve the crime, because Encyclopedia Brown was this little, like, boy genius little whiz kid, and he would, uh, solve mysteries around the neighborhood, and so... There was all these cool characters. Yeah. Um, I don't remember any of their names. One of them was kind of a bully, and uh, I remember that he had like a girl that was his friend. And I know his parents were involved in a lot of the stories, but honestly, I, I I don't remember a lot of detail about it. But it was fun to try to solve the mystery, and uh, I just I remember it being a fun read every time I read them. You know, those that was stuff I was excited to read when I was like in fourth or fifth grade. You know, and so my son is a bookworm, yeah. and he loves the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series and there's also a few other series that he really yeah. likes but uh so i want to get him some of these and i a simple google search i'm sure will bring up lots of results but uh yeah so that's my past oh man and, and before we leave your present topic uh if anyone's listening if you haven't you need to listen to the uh eto episode by the name of falling hard i i sent jason some voicemail for the recent episode that they recorded telling him and i i said this to him on the facebook page that last hour of it where they discuss uh you know old stories of them hanging out which transitions to them writing that script which transitions to them getting involved in uh local uh they had like some friends who were trying to get involved with movies and it all culminates in this movie that steven was involved with called falling hard and they listened to that trailer and uh it, it just felt like some big build-up and it had like this great jo- joke at the end of it and uh i was just i was just laughing my butt off when they played it and the way that they reacted to it and i i think it's a good listen for anyone uh, if you're familiar with the show or not it, it was just one of the funniest things i've ever heard but uh yeah um that that's what uh, the shine box script was part of i i really enjoyed that, is that a episode good one. and uh i don't know if you've ever heard there was an episode that i was on um and they it was me steven and jason because i was filling in for bill and at the end i think i was just asking mm-hmm. them questions about like how they met and how long they've known each other and to hear them same type of stuff just just their stories of, of their memories and you know hanging out on friday nights and renting movies from blockbuster and getting fast food and it's just just like the it's that's good storytelling man it's it's really fun and i was so pleased 
to learn more about this because when Stephen came to visit and we took him to a, a pizza parlor uh, lo- locally over where we lived, he was telling us that um, they used to do that. They used to like hang out with like mo- you know like movie makers, and Jason was always kind of disgusted and put off at like the real artsy like. I'm a filmmaker, you know, he's like, Oh gosh, he's always like, whatever, you know? And, uh, it's, so it's cool to hear him. Like that was in depth, really good storytelling. And the fact that check this out, I text Steven, he bought falling hard and they're talking about, they're, they're talking about <laughs> doing a movie mini, like a special pay for a movie mini or something like that. Oh my so, God. So yeah, uh, that would be really, really awesome if that came to fruition. So, and I, I, I text Steven cause I was going to oh. buy it for him and send it to him. And uh, I was like, Ste- I was like, Steven, uh, yeah. did you get it yet? He's like, Oh yeah. Waiting for me at the house. Gonna watch it this weekend. <laughs> I was like, nice. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad oh, you brought man. attention to that. Do you recall which or how long ago it was that episode where you I guest starred on like, it? Um, I know it's after 200, and I, I want to say it's like in the 220s maybe. maybe I, I think it's safe to look okay. for 215 to like – or yeah, maybe 205 to 225 in that zone. But uh, there's – Oh I yeah, yeah. I forget down. what it's called. I can text Jason. <laughs> maybe he'll, maybe he'll uh, know what number it was. But um, yeah, dude, it's it, it was a fun episode to be on. And there's also another episode where Laura, because for a while there, I don't know if you listened to these, but uh, Jason's sister Laura would sit in on some shows. It was around that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, and that was I, I yeah. loved her on the show, man. I I wish he could do it more, but her schedule is just too crazy, I guess. So, but. Uh, but but yeah, man. I'll uh, if yeah. I remember it or if I find it, I'll hit you up. Okay, cool. Or I'll just I, I've got the archive, the the archive bookmark. Nice. So um, if I can't okay, find sweet. it, I'll let you know. All right, all right. Uh, I guess I'll go on with my picks, uh, and I'll do past, first, and then present. Uh, good picks, by the way. I, I can't wait to hear how that shine oh, box man, script turns out. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, my pick, and I'll make this brief because I'm struggling with it, and it's not the first. It's not the first attempt I've made of it. It is Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Have you ever heard or Man, read any of I've, his I've stuff? Heard, I've seen. What was the? Not the. I've listened to the Road uh, on the audio book with Ross mm-hmm. when we were uh, putting an edition on my grandpa's house. But uh, I and I've heard a yeah. lot. And what what was the other one? The they made a movie about it, right? Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, No Country there you for go. Old so Men was the movie, other. But I've listened That's, to the audiobook of The Road. No, I've read the books for No Country for Old Men and The Road, and those are the more accessible stuff he's made. Uh, I think uh, I haven't seen the. They did a an adaptation of All the Pretty Horses, and that had uh, mm. Matt Damon in it. And uh, Billy Bob Thornton directed it, and I, I have no idea how well that's turned out. I do know that Thornton made uh, like a cut that was close to either three or four hours, and it was seriously cut down. And uh, apparently, the quality of the movie suffered from it. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll have to see that for myself. Blood Meridian. Um, it's kind of hard to hard to describe. It's like this old revisionist western uh, of sorts. It's written in a way that I, I quite describe. I mean, McCarthy has a weird, weird um, 
way of writing where he doesn't bother with quotations and sometimes he's a little vague as to who's speaking and he even doesn't even set the scene traditionally like most writers do but um if i understand it it's it's kind of based based on a group of uh scalp hunters who massacred you know native americans and other people uh, through the United States slash Mexico borderlands. I think it's like through the mid 1800s. And uh, it details with this character just known as the kid. You don't get to know his name and you know very little about his background and how he has this penchant for violence and how he falls into this gang and how there's this big villain character called the judge who's. Um, uh, intellectual but you know capable of almost limitless cruelty and I've heard you know uh, luckily I haven't had the story spoiled for me or anything but it's just and it's just this weird it's, it seems like a long series of vignettes where they get into one violent scrap after another and it's basically like it almost kind of it has like this reputation of, uh, as like this uh, examination of man's sometimes inhumanity to uh, itself and if there is a god apparently he's sometimes indifferent to his own creations and stuff like that but um, I've also read and heard about how just ridiculously violent the book gets and for some people this has been a turn off um, the move uh and I was listening to this podcast uh, called Reading Lives, and it's a it's a podcast about uh, people uh, people who and their reading habits, and they interview authors and librarians. And if you're into reading, I would definitely recommend looking that up. But they interviewed a guy who is uh, a librarian in addition to being a, a strong man and someone who suffers from Tourette's wow. and two of his favorite books are Blood Meridian and Moby Dick by Herman Melville two novels that have that are notorious for being hard to read for some people and he talked in detail about how each novel kind of matters for him and uh, Blood Meridian for him was really hard to do it, it was something he said that he couldn't do in one setting he would have to come back to it periodically in chunks because it's this incredibly dense novel where it, it just to him reads like nothing else and i've for like the past I want to say less than 10 years, maybe it was like eight or seven years that I've actually known about McCarthy's work. And I've tried to attempt this thing and I would rent it from the library and I would just go, what is this? And I would be stopped dead in my tracks because I would just either lose my place or I would lose my bearings on what was being talked about. And I would just send it back going, I just don't get it. How do you get into this thing? And uh, so a couple of years went by. I didn't even touch it. And McCarthy, uh, his his role has ro his popularity has rose due to the very successful uh, adaptations of his work, like No Country for Old Men and The Road, which also got some steam due to Oprah's Book Club. Uh, Club. Uh, but uh, and of course he wrote a script that became the movie The Counselor, which I know Bill's a big fan of. I can't get into it. It's just too freaking <laughs> weird. And like Blood Meridian, it's also very violent. But um, 
this a couple of weeks ago, I, I buy a lot of ebooks off of the Google Play Store because I've got a tablet that works oh. with that. And uh, they had it on sale for, I think, eight bucks, and I decided to jump on it. And I just think, I am going to tackle this this monster. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I've read, like, the first two chapters already. I was like, oh, man, this is it, – it's not badly written. It's beautifully <laughs> rotten sometimes, but, man, I, I don't – there's this in, undefinable thing about what is it that – makes it just so hard to get through i should be breezing i should be just it, it's impossible to just skim or speed read through it because you'll just lose track you know instantly so uh that's that's the past option i've tried to get into so um we'll we'll see how that that transpires because i'm, I'm trying to read more books this year than the previous one so Wow. We'll see. <laughs> uh, my present option is just a small article from a magazine that I subscribe to. Um, I subscribe to uh, several e-books or e-magazines, and uh, one of them is uh, Entertainment Weekly. You can get it pretty cheap through either Google Play Store or Barnes & Noble. Um, but they had an article a couple of weeks back that detailed the failed production for uh, have you do you remember when they tried to make a movie in the 90s an adaptation of the island of dr moreau and it had marlon brando yeah. and val kilmer and it was by all accounts a freaking turkey despite the fact that john frankenheimer directed it but uh the reason it it was just so bad was because um uh and they are about to come out with a documentary that details it. It's uh, called, I believe, Lost Soul. Uh, and it's got a subtitle called The Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's The Island of Dr. Moreau. Richard Stanley uh, had a short career. He is a British filmmaker who, who uh, specialized in making two critically acclaimed but really low-performing uh, horror or sci-fi uh low in, uh, low budget movies he made uh two movies called hardwire and dust devil both of which are available for streaming on netflix so oh, i nice. intend to check those out but uh but those uh despite their low i mean they were both basically cult films so he got uh uh the ability to get involved with the production of this and he came to it with his own script and his own ideas and he was just going to you know shoot for the moon for this thing but it's one of those problem laden productions not unlike the ones for uh, apocalypse now where you had like sets being destroyed by weather or uncooperative actors uh the, the article uh uh goes into why he was let go because apparently dealing with marlon brando who was in e even worse state than he was with apocalypse now and coppola managed to get a great performance out of him brando at this particular time uh his film appearances were getting rarer and rarer he became obese and he was just uh wanted to do whatever he wanted to and apparently there's a scene where he's wearing a bucket on his head for no particular reason um richard stanley's problems came with dealing with val kilmer who 
went into this i don't know if you can call it a diva phase or a, uh or, or whatever or he just had like attitude problems where you know maybe brando was doing whatever he wanted yeah. to so maybe that can extend to me and according to according to the article kilmer said i would like for my character to live in a treehouse stanley said no Kilmer apparently wasn't too happy, and Kilmer apparently had the star power to get wow. him booted from the production. And Stanley and Stanley talked about he was just shredding his notes, his scripts, because no one was going to take his ideas and run with it. And uh, he was let go. When the project resumed, when Frankheimer got involved, Stanley went incognito and got wow. hired on as an extra so he could hang around and just see how badly they screwed it up wow. and they did That's crazy. uh so uh 25 years later he's living uh basically this kind of exile i don't i forget uh how he's been supporting himself he's been living in like some section of france where he's been visiting this old rundown castle where he's running into ghosts and he's rather taken with one ghost in particular which he thinks is this spirit of this dead uh dead woman or whatever and uh he's not particularly crazy he just has uh particularly (laughs) well maybe he is crazy i don't know uh anyway he has particular interest and he wants to get involved back in film making but he hasn't seemed to have done anything in like 25 years and uh his his yearning for a comeback is coinciding with this documentary which i think is just making festival circuits but i'm not particularly sure about a release date, whether that's for theatrical or VOD, but I wow. am dying to see this now because I've I've only seen the trailer for that film and it was it was just so corny. No wonder it failed. But um, but yeah, that's that's awesome. my pick for a present topic. So uh, <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> so um, I am done with all my topics to discuss Um, do you have anything else you would like to add okay man well unless my uh skype timer is deceiving me (laughs) we have breached the three hour mark uh and i will edit this with greater care i I, i've 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 um i've got a little bit more familiar with audacity in trying to uh edit certain stuff so i'll i'll i won't do this in just one particular day i'll probably spend a couple of days uh trimming this down but um this has been uh another great conversation and we jumped into tangent into tangents uh we didn't expect and it's been it's just been another great time talking with you man and i appreciate you not only making yourself available but sticking it out through uh with me uh tonight so uh man once again thank you for all of that tonight was cool it felt it felt like more of a conversation like you know because last time was the first time we even spoke you know what i mean so it was like tonight felt a little bit more like okay mm-hmm. we're you know i don't know it felt good it felt like felt like we had a good chemistry going and i totally appreciate being asked man at any time like i said and i can't wait to hear more guests because i want to be able to be a fan of the show and experience it so i can't wait to hear some of these other guys that you want to have on so keep going keep doing it be inspired keep going because i like your show a lot and i love being on thank you and uh anyway um 
I don't know if I have anything else to say for that uh, so I'll just uh, reiterate my uh, contact information I can be reached via Twitter at avid acrojam a-v-i-d-a-c-r-i-d-j-a-m you can find this podcast at its hosting site at avidacrojam.podbean.com there is a gmail email account it's received no traffic so if you're not if you're not into gmail i understand but here's the address anyway past impending podcast at gmail.com and those are the ways that you can reach me uh uh, so Adam, what, what are your contacts? You can me on Twitter, uh, Adam Howard, or uh, at Our Music's Major. So that's O U R, and then the word music with an S on the end of it, and then Major, M A J O R. And then you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Late to the Party. And then you should check out my son's YouTube channel. He's uh, it's called Lawrence's Lego Reviews. Uh, it's we haven't put anything on there in a while. It's more than just Lego uh, stuff too. He's starting to get into some other things, talking about doing some Minecraft videos. And then uh, I'm also uh, so check check that out. That would be cool. I, I forgot. I can't believe I forgot to plug that last time. But uh, and then I would say the other place would be I never go on my Facebook, but I guess if you want to, you know, get a contact with me, that you can. It's just Adam Howard. So that would uh, I don't have a, a link for your show notes, Adam, but. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's where you that's, can find that's, me that's okay man awesome i had no idea or maybe i could have sworn that youtube channel has been mentioned on yeah. uh etl before but i just keep forgetting it but i'm definitely gonna reviews. i'm definitely gonna look yeah, that up lawrence's what is it called again lawrence's yep. lego yes, uh <laughs> reviews <Yeah>. all right <laughs> awesome well i'm definitely gonna check that out um Anyway, uh, our episode, our long episode, has come to a close. So, uh, once again, my name is Adam Sexton. This is the Past and Pending Podcast.